NHL GMs were pretty busy over the past seven days, and despite the fact salary cap, a lot of cash exchanged hands on the opening day. We also saw a barrage of big trades in the days and weeks before that. Which clubs did well, which ones overpaid, and in the end, did all this change anything? Episode 280 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. The unofficial start of off-season frenzy has begun. Free agents have signed. Not too many remain. And uh, Brett, uh, we're going to uh, talk about uh, the big items. And the rest will stash into our preview uh, series, an eight-part series, which starts yep. next week. We'll go alphabetical order we'll start with the a's and the b's um and then work our way down from there four teams per episode so be sure to uh, uh keep it locked for that but uh, for this week we're going to talk about the big things that happen yeah plus brewing stuff but yes yeah, yeah. um <laughs> but yeah the uh i i think the reason why we, i guess we could have done all of the stuff that's happened in the last two weeks but then it would be like a four-hour episode um, and, and that's just not going to be fun for any of you guys. So, um, and also I, I think we're, we both, or at least for me, I've, I enjoyed the prospect series that we did last year. And so I, I think I kind of look forward to adding that element to it and it's almost the season again, which is kind of crazy. So, so it, it will give us also a chance to, uh, preview some teams and, and do it that way as well. So I look forward to that aspect of it for sure but yeah we're gonna just cover the big trades um also you'll notice that today uh we don't cover any of the moves that the sabers did or that the uh um the uh, the arizona coyotes i mean we may briefly mention those items but uh because we're going to be talking about them next week uh we figured we'll just leave it to that point so um they so also that, really yeah. didn't do much in terms of signings either. <laughs> right. Well, no, I was talking about the big trades because they were they're they're both the teams oh, yeah. that well, have, they, they yeah. did a lot of trading. Yeah, that's yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, and and they're the two teams that are clearly tanking, um, for Shane Wright. So um, so yeah, it's uh, so that that'll they'll explain that if you're a Coyotes fan or a Sabres fan, God bless you. But also, uh, we're going to be talking about it next week. Um, tanking, tanking for Shane Wright, just you're trading away Jack Eichel, who you also tank for. Yeah, yeah. Not great. Well, technically, you were tanking for, they were tanking for McDavid, and Eichel was a consolation prize. But yes, I, Bro, yeah. it, I, I get what you mean. Um, yeah, tank for a star player, either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, a team that kind of tanked uh, a couple of years ago, um, but and had a couple of first overall picks. Um, we're going to talk about Dougie Hamilton signing with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, he signs a $9 million uh, annual average value deal uh, for seven years. Um, 
kind of the, like, you know, I guess there were rumors and we talked about it back when it happened was that Dougie, the Carolina Hurricanes were allowing Dougie to speak to other teams. Uh, we thought this was an interesting move, but, you know, you weren't really holding out hope. I mean, I guess we're, <laughs> this will be a common saying for us. We will talk about this in Carol in the Carolina section, but, like, it was interesting, too, because on that day it seemed like, oh, I guess they're signing all these defensemen. A lot of the draft picks they picked were defensemen, so, um, so it seemed like they were preparing for Dougie to not be on their team uh, for much longer. Um, and it's in interesting that Dougie actually chose the New Jersey Devils because it's not necessary. I wouldn't consider the Devils a contender right now. Of course, they still have, they have Nico Heischer, uh, who missed most of the season. They have Jack Hughes, who kind of turned it up a notch this year. Um, also, Mackenzie Blackwood had a pretty good um, first half of the season. Um, and then he got COVID and then the rest. Um, but, like, he's still a pretty good goalie. We talked about Ty Smith as well. They got Ryan Graves. So, all this, like, it seems like P.K. Subban, who's also making $9 million. Um, he's about to be a free agent next year. So, um, it looks like maybe P.K. Subban's going to not be on the team much longer. But, yeah, I, I like this move because it's, like, a sign of, like, yeah, it might be tough to uh, sign Jack Hughes or Ty Smith because of this $9 million deal, but you have your guy for, you have your defensive guy, which a lot of teams have been craving for, for, you know, forever. Um, and, you, you know, he may not, it's kind of like an Artemi Panarin situation in the, in the Rangers. It's like, sure, the Rangers are probably still in rebuilding mode, when they got Panarin, but he kind of adds that extra element. And that's the same thing that Dougie Hamilton does for this New Jersey Devils team. It's like, sure, they're probably still in rebuild mode. They did just get uh, Luke Hughes as well on the defensive side of things too. So um, so that, that should be, you know, their defense got much improved. But, um, but like, still, I, I don't expect them to be good um, until, um, you know, maybe a couple more years. Um, and, and, but like all of a sudden they're, they're looking like a pretty good team. Um, before I leave it off to Steve, I should mention a few of how good Dougie Hamilton actually is. Uh, last year, uh, he had 42 points in 55 games for Carolina. Um, and he's also like a pretty good defensive guy too. Um, let me see here. I think his like Corsi is fifty five point three, which is pretty good. Um, if you don't know um, advanced stats, but that's like a pretty good tell. Uh, it's usually around that range for uh, even defensemen. So so that's pretty good. Um, and he's also has. Let me see here. I think he has. Um, uh, he has eighteen. He had eighteen power play points as well, uh, which it, of those forty-two games points uh, the year before that, which was uh, the shortened season. Um, his his season got even shorter because he um, he got injured like midway through the year. Um, but when he was still around, he had forty points in forty-seven games, which is really really good for a defenseman. Um, 
and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, we're going to talk about another defenseman in a second about uh, someone who has, who has like a $9.5 million contract. Um, and I could see Dougie Hamilton actually fulfilling that contract more than Seth Jones could. Um, Seth Jones is the guy we're going to talk about, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'll reveal that. So... So yeah, I, I like this deal for the Devils. It, it's an interesting fit because uh, they don't necessarily need him right now, but they'll they'll definitely need him in the future. So there's a lot to unpack with the Dougie Hamilton stuff. Um, first of all, I was looking at how the contract breaks down, and it's six point three million um, for year one, and it's the same for year two. Then he gets year three, and we're looking at 12.6 million for years three and years four. Um, and throughout the first four years, there's a no move clause throughout the, throughout that span. And then it turns into a 10 team trade list, uh, for the final three years, year five, he makes 11.55 million, then 8.4 million year six, the lowest amount of money he makes in the final year of his deal at $5.25 million, which makes sense because at that point he'll be in his 30s, mid-30s probably. So overall, if you look at the contract, he wouldn't have gotten this on a contender. And I feel the Carolina Hurricanes, when they gave him permission to speak to other teams, they figured there aren't going to be too many contenders that can offer him $9 million per year, the type of money that he's looking for. But if he wants money plus a chance to win, the Hurricanes probably felt pretty confident that they could somehow get a deal done. Um, I don't think they expected him to take the money, even if it was on a non-contending team, which, let's face it, the Devils are a bottom feeder at the moment, and he makes them better, but... How much better we'll we'll get into later um but yeah i he wouldn't have gotten this type of money on a contender i'm fully convinced of that because of the uh, because of the flat cap because of the cap space teams have to work with because of the guys they have to resign and the guys they're gonna have to resign down the road there aren't too many teams that could have afforded dougie hamilton at this price and the devils with their gigantic cap space we're probably one of the few teams um, that could make that could make this happen. The other probably being Seattle and Ottawa, who isn't really expected to do much, and Detroit. If they wanted him, I'm sure they could have gotten him. But again, Seattle, they're, they're Seattle. in rebuild mode. Not too many. Not too many of those teams really fit the bill for Dougie Hamilton. Seattle. Look at, there was rumors yeah. that Seattle might have been interested, but. I guess that didn't fall through, but that goes with what you're saying. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, so I uh, overall, I can understand why Dougie Hamilton signed this deal. He wanted his money and he got it. Now, taking a look at the offensive numbers, it's easy to see how good Dougie Hamilton is. Uh, I'm going to go by um, three years ago, two years ago, and last year. And I'll tell you how he ranks by category in terms of, uh, you know, points by defenseman, assists by defenseman, goals by defenseman, where he ranks among his peers, basically. So he, uh, he ranks second, eighth, and sixth. So second, three years ago, eighth, two years ago, sixth this past year, 
double digits in goals across the board. 18 in 2018-19, 14, 2019-20, 10 this year. And it should be mentioned that two years ago and this year, uh, COVID played a role into the amount of games played and also an injury cut short Dougie Hamilton's season um, before the pandemic hit as well. So even then, it would have been a shortened season for Dougie. In terms of assists, he ranks 69th, 36th, and 9th. Uh, defensive points, 31st, 20th, and 8th. Defensive power play points, 60th, 29th, and 8th. Defensive shots on goal, 3rd, 11th, and 1st. Defensive time on ice per game, 107th, 28th, 37th. Defensive power play time on ice, total power play time on ice. Uh, Dougie ranked 41st, 36th, and 12th. So overall, his past season this year, he was top 10 in goals, assists, points, power play points, and shots on goal by defensemen, uh, near the top 10 in power play time on ice. And uh, throughout that time, his giveaway, his takeaway giveaway ratio wasn't really bad. Three years ago, 35 takeaways, 66 giveaways. Um Last year, uh, two years ago, sorry, 22 takeaways, 40 giveaways. This year, 20 giveaways, or 20 takeaways, 44 giveaways. Now, I want you to take that with a grain of salt and keep in mind the giveaway takeaway part. The 2018-19 season is a good example of what good defense can do. That year, Dougie Hamilton and Justin Falk, both on the Carolina Hurricanes, both had 66 giveaways. Both of them barely making the for most giveaways by blue liners. You look at Carolina's team record and you see how often those blunders factor into the end result. And good news for them, they didn't really factor into the end result. They still kept on winning games. And that's mostly because they had guys like Jacob Slavin and Brett Peche bailing out any mistakes that were made. Or the majority of them anyway. And I think the tandem of Slavin and Peche coupled with the depth guys like Joel Edmondson that stopped by later on, Yanni Hockenpah that was here for half a season, uh, those made, those guys made a big difference as well. Brady Shea uh, entering the picture, I would say, he played uh, a, a somewhat pivotal role in that, but obviously the big guys in that equation were Slavin and Pesce. That same year, 2018-19, you look at the Florida Panthers – and the offense they had, and the offensive capabilities their blue liners had. I look at the giveaways, and oh my god, they were horrendous. This is where some of their defensive uh, players ranked. Mike Matheson, all alone in first among NHL blue liners with 135 giveaways in 2018-19. Aaron Ekblad finished third with 122 giveaways by defensemen. And Keith Yandel, he had 110 recorded gas. That ranked fifth. So they had three defensemen in the top five for most giveaways. And on top of that, also in the top 50, 32nd overall, Mark Pissick had 72 giveaways. And that team didn't make the playoffs. So when I look at the Carolina Hurricanes defense beyond Dougie Hamilton... And I compare that to New Jersey's, I'm thinking, yeah, Dougie Hamilton was a good defenseman, but he had the right system in place. He had the right defenseman behind them. 
and that way I feel like he could play his game with more uh with with little to no fear I should say and he could get results and he did get results he played some of the best hockey of his career in fact but New Jersey I feel is kind of in Florida's position right now PK Subban while he's been decent He's not even close to performing at his current value. His 45 turnovers this year, 28th most in the league by defensemen. Damon Severson, who I would say is their best shutdown option, he had 52 giveaways in 56 games. That's almost a full giveaway in the record books every game. Only 15 other defensemen recorded more cough-ups. And those two guys last year, uh, 2019-2020, so the season before this past season, well, those guys had a combined 138 giveaways. Damon had 73 of them. PK had 65. So you have those two guys in the picture coming into the fold this year again. Ty Smith is just trying to adjust to the NHL game. When he's ready, Luke Hughes, uh, Luke Hughes will have to do the same. And that probably isn't going to happen for the immediate future. And even if Will Butcher is still there, I'm not sure how much he helps things defensively. So, yes, Dougie Hamilton's a good defenseman. Yes, he might be worth the money, but no, this doesn't make the Devils a better team. They still need to improve their roster. The good news for them is they have cap space, but they have a lot of RFAs to sign in the coming years. So that cap space might seem like a blessing today. But if you don't spend in the right areas, the Devils are in a tough division and they're going to be chasing everyone. Yeah, I I get what your, your concerns are there. I, I will say on one end that, yeah, I, I get what you mean, that obviously Carolina is a really good team and Dougie was, benefited from that a lot. However, if you like look at what he d- was able to do in Calgary or what he was able to do in Boston, um, like he, he still had pretty good numbers and he was able to still be effective. Um, and like he put a, like he's pretty good for like a 40 or 45 or 40 50 point pace as a defenseman which is still pretty good I mean so so I think like he'll be okay in New Jersey um, even though he's gonna be on a worse team um, and, and again like yeah I understand also what you're saying is that like New Jersey like yes they get Dougie Hamilton that's gonna help them but uh, they still have some more moves to make. However, I'm not as worried about them as I am for Carolina because they, we'll, we'll talk about them pretty soon too, but like they lose Dougie Hamilton. That's going to be a big loss. Then they uh, trade Alex Delkovich a week before that, who is like a big reason why they were, um, you know, like that's always been their weak point. They finally have Nedeljkovic, who seemed like he was a capable goalie. And then they deal him off. They get like two very injury-prone guys, and Freddie Anderson and uh, Antti Ranta, um, who are both pretty good help goalies, but they have to be healthy, and that's not a yeah. guarantee for either one of them. Um, and then I guess we'll talk about the Tony D'Angelo signing. Um, I mean, it, and then that's like another like wild card into the mix. So it's like I could very well see Carolina not even make the playoffs because they don't have those guys and they like they were too risky in the offseason. So this like all those moves are not good. <laughs> um, 
So, like, I, like they, obviously, they still have Sebastian Aja. They still have Tavo Teravainen. But I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina misses the playoffs. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm more concerned about Carolina. I think New Jersey, yeah, the, the clock's on right now. But um, I'm not too worried about them. If, if they continue to stink for, like, two more years, then, yeah, I'll probably be a little bit more concerned. But right now, you know, Jack Hughes is still young. He's... I think there's still more to come out of him, even though he's been pretty. He was pretty good last season. Uh, same with Nico Heischer. So, um, and then they have Luke Hughes in the system. They have Alexander Holtz in the system. Uh, they have a few New Jersey got. Ty Smith was pretty good uh, for for spurts of the season. So I think the New Jersey Devils have some good prospects that are going to be around, and uh, they should. They they seem to be like in a good groove but um but yeah the carolina hurricanes i'm more concerned about um i i I can also see that but i feel like they could maybe get away with it because rod brindamore is their coach and he can get a team playing together new jersey they have a young forward group and a young defensive group that's trying to win together and just trying to be you know, just trying to do well at the NHL level. They're not, like, feeding off each other and, like, learning from the veterans. Like, they're all they've, they're all they've got. Paul Mary yeah. is gone. Travis Zajac is gone. Sure. Taylor Hall's been gone for a while now. It's just the young guys. Yeah. And they're relying on each other to do well. And that's, that's, that's why I feel that Carolina still might do better than New Jersey. Now, will it be good enough to make the playoffs? I don't know because that division's so tight right. and a lot of other teams have done stuff to improve, but I, I still think Carolina is the better team than the Devils. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I can see what you're saying. I, I, I don't know. I, I think like they're, I, I think in like the long term, New Jersey um, is in good shape. Um, yeah. And, and like I, I said, yeah. the, the cap space is the weapon for them. Yeah. Like, I highly doubt they're going to look yeah. at the roster and say, yeah, it's good enough. We don't have to do anything else. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that there's still – there might be more moves to come, and we'll see. Or or maybe a trade. Maybe they trade uh, P.K. Super in now or something like that. Yeah, I'm, ju- I'm just saying right now yeah. um, the Devils have a lot of work to do, and this can't be the only thing that they do. Because they're they're set up to fail otherwise. Right. No. No. That that makes sense. All right. Um, so now we go to the other defenseman. Uh, speaking of questionable moves here, um, and and teams that aren't um, there just yet. Um, so there was a big. Uh, it was like last Friday. There was or the Friday before the draft. There was like about five trades that were like blockbusters that would have been headline news if the drafts if the two drafts weren't happening but a big reason why those trades were made because of the those two drafts so um so we, we this is one of the trades that we'll talk about that happened on that day um it's probably the biggest one and it happened towards the end of the day too so it, was, it felt like everything was leading up to this where it's like, oh, first Risto gets traded, then Connor Garland and um, and uh, uh, OEL gets traded, then like Buchnevich gets traded, and then 
I forget the order of everything. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Seth Jones is <laughs> getting traded. And then and then you're thinking like, okay, what's next? Is Jack Eichel going to get traded? And he still hasn't. But um, <laughs> but that that was it was just a funny thing because it was just like every trade just increased in like um, in craziness. Uh, so and, and then as we were waiting yeah. for the Jack Eichel trade to happen, which of course it didn't, then Seth Jones signs an extension. Right. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll get into that in, in a second too. So, so to um, in case you've been living under a rock, um, or and you're not an NHL fan, I don't know why you're listening, but thanks <laughs> if you are. Um, Seth Jones uh, went to the Chicago Blackhawks, um, and they also received a first round pick, which happened to be Tampa, um, and then uh, from Tampa, uh, and then. They also get a 2022 six-round pick. Um, the Columbus Blue Jackets get Adam Bockfist, um, a 2021 first-round pick, um, and a 2021 second-round pick, and a 2022 conditional first-round pick. Uh, that condition is if Chicago wins one of the, the, um, the three 2022 draft lotteries, the pick becomes their... 2023 first round pick um so there is a potential that i guess chicago could not go into the playoffs and then um and then they could win like kind of like a the matt duchene clause i think that's gonna be what it what those conditions are the matt duchene condition um anyways uh chicago because the 21 uh draft already happened i can tell you uh Columbus got Cole Sillinger from that. Um, I believe also, um, yeah, so uh, I guess Columbus also traded that pick to Carolina, uh, the second round pick, and they got uh, Alexei Hemosalny, Carolina did. Um, so, so there's that. We still don't know what the 2022 conditional first round pick is. Um, as for the Blackhawks, that 2021 first round pick turned into Nolan Allen, um, and that was the last pick of the draft. Um, so, um, and then as, uh, so the interesting thing about Seth Jones, and I'll get into the contract in a second, um, is like, well, first off, this trade didn't really make too much sense to us because it's like, it's pretty clear that Chicago, um, before this trade, um, it felt like Chicago was like, yeah, they were on a bubble of the playoff teams, but they were kind of in a weak division. So it wasn't like uh, Kevin Lincoln in was, was pretty good. Um, and of course, to bring Cat and Patrick Kane are always good and stuff like that. So you're, you're thinking like, okay, so um, they kind of got lucky, but they're like, they even told their fans um, last offseason that they're they're going to be rebuilt. They're going to be in rebuild mode and, um, and we'll see, but, but I guess, I guess they're going for it now. Um, as for Seth Jones, uh, he didn't have a great year, uh, last season. He was probably in his worst season, um, in his, uh, seven year career or eight year career. Sorry. Um, and, uh, which is interesting because, Usually, like, it's not bad when you look at these stats. Uh, 28 points in 56 games. Um, again, like, not bad if a deep, for a defenseman, but probably not a good for a top-tier defenseman. Um, and I also noticed that he had 102 hits and 101 blocks. 
um, which is pretty impressive. So that's like two hits and two blocks a game, pretty much. Um, so so that's that's pretty good. Um, and he's also one of these classic. An, another time when we were talking about Seth Jones because they weren't going to sign Seth Jones, um, and uh, or like he found we found that he wasn't going to sign, so they were probably going to trade him. Um, the interesting thing is we found that like a lot of the advanced statistics people hate him, but it also is pretty clear that a lot of the people who like the eye test or like who believe in the eye test or go by their gut uh, really love this guy. So he's like a very polarizing player just in the hockey community because it's like the stats guy, the advanced stats guys hate this guy. Um, and, uh, everyone, like the, the people who just watch the games and, and don't look at the stats, love this guy. Um, so, so that's a little bit interesting and a little bit, in, uh, and good insight into what he's about. Uh, clearly, I guess Chicago, <laughs> Chicago Blackhawks are purely into the, the eye test because they also got Duncan Keith, who's not great. Or no, they, they got rid of Duncan Keith. Um, but, um... But yeah, they, they ended up signing Seth Jones for uh, $9.5 million, uh, per year. No movement clauses for everything. Um, and it's going to be eight years. Um, he's still on his current contract, so he was making $5.4 million. Um, but, but yeah, so now he's, um, so he's, he's going to be there for eight years um, at $9.5 million. So it, it is kind of funny when you think of it because like, they were kind of getting praises that they uh, robbed uh, Tom, uh, not Tom Holland, Greg Holland, uh, Ken Holland, the um, <laughs> Ken Holland uh, from that Duncan Keith move, and then like oh, like two weeks later, they end up signing like a crazy nine point five million deal to Seth Jones. Um, I I love Seth Jones, um, but. I, I don't think he's worth $9.5 million, especially when he had his worst season of his career here. Um, it's it kind of it's like reminiscent of the Josh Anderson uh, contract last year, where it's like all of a sudden you're signing him to this long-term deal um, like worth a whole lot after his like terrible season. Um, and it, it's not to take away from how good Seth Jones is. It's just... It just seems weird to like, it seems like he's on his downturn and maybe there is a case that he just like, no, nobody on Columbus was good. So, so maybe there is just a case of like, if you put him on to another team when he's not with torts, um, he might benefit from that. Um, and he, he is the de facto guy for, for a while, especially when they traded their top prospect defenseman there in Adam Bogfist. So, so there's, there's that, but um, this is way too much. It's like, like he's not. It, it, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it just, it's just crazy. Like, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but um, I feel like nine point five is is absurd. It's absurd because he hasn't played a game for them. That too. Yeah. And and he hasn't really given us the opportunity to determine, okay, was last season an outliner or is this what we're going to expect from Seth Jones moving forward? Mm -hmm. The Blackhawks better damn hope that it was an outlier because mm -hmm. 
they've just committed eight years and 9.5 million to a defenseman in regression if the bad years continue to pile up. And we've seen Seth Jones play. We all know how good he can be. We saw him in that five overtime marathon with Tampa Bay, arguably the best skater on the ice, not named Victor Hedman. And that's probably, that's probably a case of, again, how underrated Seth Jones is. Like we always talk about names like Eric Carlson and Victor Hedman and Roman Yossi and John Carlson and Dougie Hamilton. We always seem to talk about them before we talk about Seth Jones and the Chicago Blackhawks looked at his numbers and said, you know what? He's not underrated. He's our number one defenseman and we're going to get him. Yep. The issue I have a problem with is the timing. The timing makes no sense. When you're in the middle of a rebuild, you don't go making a trade, even if you already have his brother on the team, which I'm sure adds. By the way, I called it too. I I predicted that because I was saying like, okay, they're getting Caleb Jones. He is the brother of Seth Jones. I I called that too. So Yeah. It it just didn't make sense to me because like, I would feel that Seth Jones wants to go to a contender. The Hawks are not a contender. Yeah. They're not going to be a, for a couple more years. And they just traded one of their best young defensemen to get him on top of a first-round pick, which, by the way, they need. They yep. And, and potentially they don't have one next year, considering how that might go. I, I'm i pretty sure – I'm no expert, but rebuilding teams need their first-round picks. Right. I, Especially when next year the first round looks pretty damn good. Yep. Like that that's a first round pick you could use as a rebuilding team. Yep. And they they might have uh, luck out on that as well. For Columbus, this is a big win. Like they got a good haul for Seth Jones. They used their flexibility with draft picks to go out and get Jake Bean. And as we'll talk about uh when we talk about columbus they also sign the other big name defenseman they yep. have and will have for the next six years in Zakarensky. but uh, I, I i think i think the blackhawks were playing to hit a home run and they just might have hit a pop out yeah Th- this could age poorly to play devil's advocate on this for one second because i saw this take a while ago uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze are making $10.5 million for two more years. Yep. Um, they also have Debrinkat for $6.4 million for two more years as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would assume Debrinkat's getting a raise there. Um, Thankfully, Debrinkat's an RFA, unlike Kane yeah, and Taze, exactly. who can hit the open market. But they, they're all free agents at the same time. Um, and especially both Taze and Kane, they're both like, you know, they're towards the end of their career. Um, and they also, like, they end up getting um, Mark andre Fleury from Vegas, um, which is a nice move. And we didn't, you know, it, it kind of changes the Seth Jones narrative of, like, okay, so maybe they are going for it if they get Mark andre Fleury. Uh, they also uh, traded away Brent Seabrook so they don't have to deal with his contract um, to Tampa, of all teams. And they ended up getting Tyler Johnson, um, and a pick there. So 
So like those moves kind of indicate that okay, it seems like they're not rebuilding, but they because Kane and Taze are on the end of their career, or at least on the end of their contract, they are going to be um, they're they're going to be going for it for the uh, for the future. Um, just they're going for, the, for a last dance type. Yeah, of yeah, exactly. Like the Bulls did. Right, 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 right. So, so I, I think that that was their strategy because they, they may have realized like, yeah, we told our fans that we're going to be rebuilding and that is probably the smart thing um, in the long term, but I, I think they just changed gears and they, you know, this, this last season they started to realize like, oh, like we're actually like, we're a bubble team when we weren't even trying to be good and, then, and like they don't have, they didn't have Kirby Doc, they didn't have Jonathan Taze. So they're, they're probably thinking like, okay, I, I think we if we get Seth Jones um, and we get Marc-Andre Fleury, um, you know, we have Caleb Jones, we improve our defensive side of things, then yeah, maybe they are, uh, then maybe they could make the playoffs with Marc-Andre Fleury and Seth Jones on, like if Seth Jones is the Seth Jones that we expect. Um, versus the Seth Jones of last year. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs if, if they have Seth Jones. The only issue with that is that um, Jonathan Taze hasn't played in a year, um, mm-hmm. and, and we don't know if he'll ever be the same. Um, and also, like, and the, the same goes with Kirby Dak um, as well. And also, um, like, they're in a pretty tough division. Uh, they they have Colorado to deal with that they didn't have to deal with before. They have Winnipeg to deal with and they didn't have that, that before. Saint uh, I guess no St. Louis they didn't have to deal with. Um, they you know Minnesota got better. Uh, they didn't have to deal with them. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else is in the Central. They, well, I feel get, like I'm missing getting, an obvious one. Divi- yeah, Colorado. Like the only the only team on that list that really scares me is Colorado. St. Yeah. Louis is a maybe. Minnesota is a maybe. Uh, Winnipeg is a maybe. Arizona is going right down. Yeah. They're not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> only one direction. That's but, that's basin level down. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I, I think even still, like I would rather like yeah, I, we agree on Colorado, but I I still think Winnipeg is better. I still think St. Louis is better. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of those teams are – Dallas is – I think Dallas Na- might be better Nashville too. and Dallas are, are in the maybe category. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not as high on like, Nashville, but, good, I, I but I think Dallas could good. be pretty good. But, like, yeah, yeah so it's I, – I, I th- like, I think they're still on the bubble of that of that division. Um, so so I don't know if they'll make the playoffs. And that's just making the playoffs. <laughs> like, I don't think they're, they're going to win the Cup. So, so uh, – so, uh, like that—that's the issue with that. Um, so maybe there are more moves, but I think they're kind of full on cap space, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they—they used up all their cap space. So, um, and and like you mentioned, they don't have their first round this year. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think there there is a, um, I I feel like it's a risky move, but I can also understand it from the perspective of like, okay, we have to like go for it. Because Jonathan, they have Jonathan Taze and Kane. They have to like they owe it to them, um, and and <laughs> they may not have a team um, uh, in a while after all these like investigations or hopefully an investigation into that 2010 team. 
uh, happens, um, and maybe they'll like have to vacate that tw- uh, those three championships or whatever. Um, but but yeah, I-, I could see them maybe making the playoffs, but I yeah I don't think they're gonna make the full uh, team. Yeah. I I mean the, those those conversations behind the scenes, and I think the NHL as a league has a lot yep. to answer to in that regard, not just the franchise, the right. Chicago Blackhawks itself. Um, I think if they do get punished, it will be like the forfeit of draft picks and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't know if that alone is enough to take away like the three championships that they got. I mean, that they um, could do that. They could like... Uh, if they want them, to yeah. go right to the edge, yeah. then yeah, they could. They could um, remove the 2010 Cup Championship, so they'd just yeah, be f- forever known as, like, the two-time Cup. Like, like there would be no winner in 2010 or something like that. I don't know. Um, they could do that, and that would be pretty harsh as well, kind of like what uh, what happened to Penn State. But, yeah, that, that's, we're, we're getting uh, off topic here. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I think there is something to... Uh, again, I'll, I'll just reiterate what I just said, that uh, I could see them making the playoffs maybe, but I don't think they're, they're going to win the cup. But I, I like if you put it into that perspective of like, okay, Kane and Taze have two more years left, maybe that's why they're doing it. So um, so I can understand it from that perspective. A, um, lot could, yeah. a lot would have to go right, but it's not impossible. If exactly. they were in the East, they'd have no chance. Yep. Um, so speak, I guess we, the next on our list was actually Mark Andre Fleury goes to Chicago, uh, yeah. for Michael Harry, uh, I'm sorry if you're listening to this, I probably Harry, butchered Harry Cannon. Okay. Maybe? Uh, anyways, it's, it's basically the crazy thing about this trade is that Vegas, like, I, I guess there was rumors that, uh, Laner or Flower were going to get traded, um, not that there's anything wrong with tandems. Pretty much every team has a tandem now. Um, but I guess just from a contract perspective, um, they had to let him go. What's crazy about this is that Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vezina this offseason. So uh, he's actually the second goalie to win the Vezina and then get traded in the in that same offseason. Um, so um, it was in the same month, too. I don't. Uh, Dominic Hasek was the first. Um, when he went, he won the uh, Vezina in his last year in Buffalo, um, and then he got traded to Detroit. Uh, the, should, that be, should, uh, should be noteworthy, and I know yeah. it's largely because of the team in front of him, but uh, the year after Hasha got traded, he kind of won the Stanley Cup. Yep. The funnier thing about, let me, I, I have to look up the trade again, but the funniest thing about Dom, that trade in particular, or in, in compared to this, is that. Um, there's a much better return. Like maybe I guess Michael Harrigan might be something, end up being something, but um, but uh, yeah. So uh, Dominic Hasek got traded to the Red Wings for Vyacheslav Kozlov, a round one pick in the 2002 draft and a conditional pick in 2003. Whereas for like Mark Andre Fleury, they basically Vegas got nothing for him. Um, like I, I, I can see why they traded him just cause from like, okay, they have, they have Robin Leonard. Um, I probably would have rather traded Robin Leonard cause it seems like, um, you know, you, you know, he, he was their, their, uh, 
big like market marketed guy um but uh yeah just uh the fact that i i guess uh, robin leonard is on a decent contract he has five uh four years left with five million per year so that's pretty decent he's all he's also younger than mark andre Fleury is too but i don't know this year it seemed evident that Fleury was um a good you know he would he still has some left in the tank yeah he kind of faltered towards the end in the playoffs that was a reason why they uh didn't go too far in there but um but yeah at the same time it, it feels it feels crazy that they couldn't get anything for him um the only reason this makes this would make sense is if they're going to try to get jack eichel but like they still like you know they they made a trade to get Evgeny Dadanoff and they, you know, and now they're, they're all full in the cap space. So they have to make more moves in order to get Jack Eichel. Um, so, so yeah, I guess that's, that's not the case. Um, yeah, I don't know. It should also be mentioned that Vegas signed Laurent Brossois to back up Robin Leonard. Yep. So he's the new backup. Oh, I, should, they also I, I, I forgot to mention the, the fact that, uh, well, the Knights made Flurry the face of the franchise mm-hmm. and uh and, and now it's probably more mark stone or uh you can make a case for pitcher angelo or patretti but um but yeah mark andre Fleury found out not from the gm but he found out on twitter <laughs> and and he doesn't even have a twitter or a public twitter that he uses he he found out on a on a uh, just on twitter uh, that he was getting traded, and, and that's just not how you treat your your uh, your goalie or your even like I don't know that 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 seems pretty strange too that they uh, just didn't even tell him that he was getting traded. The way the Gallant situation ended, the way Eric Holla was traded, and yep. now the way they dismissed Marc Andre Fleury is another strike on the Vegas public relations department. And it's mostly to the organization. Cause like the, the social media people, like they put out what the team tells them to put out how you don't have a face to face with Mark Andre Fleury before this gets out is inexcusable. How you basically lock out Eric Halla before you tell him he's getting traded is absolutely inexcusable and i know you're entering your fifth season but good god you would think after the first or second time this wouldn't happen again and it happened to probably the guy at the start was the face of your franchise it was probably him and Derek england that in the early years of the vegas golden knights history these are the guys that fans love to see they fell in love with these players and he played so well for them. He revitalized his career in Vegas. It was a career resurgence for Marc-Andre Fleury after one of the worst seasons of his career. And they trade him for basically a fifth-round pick in 2018. Yep. And Fleury won the Vezina. Like, I know he, he costs $7 million and it's for one more year, but good God, you could have gotten a second, maybe a first, you could have gotten more than a fifth round pick in 2018. 
and I get it's for cap space. You need to keep Alec Martinez, and you did that. You decide to keep Matias Yanmark for another year. Good for you. You brought in Laurent Braswana back up, Robin Leonard. Good for you. Your team, for enough. the most part, is still pretty good. And you've got to make it somehow to, to keep the rest of the team intact. But it's... Uh, I don't I don't get how this team operates behind the scenes. I just yep. don't. Like they're and and just the poor asset management like trading Nate Schmidt for a third round pick. You could have gotten something for him. Yeah, even you, even trading you, Cody you, Glass you, for Nolan Patrick. Uh, that was yeah. a crazy one, yeah. It, like the Nick, trading like Nick Tam- Suzuki and trading Eric Brandstrom when those are your first three picks mm-hmm. as well. Um yeah. That's, that's and whatever it takes to keep the winning train going, right? Whatever yep. keeps you under the cap, whatever keeps your team good for now, that's all fine and dandy. The reason Tampa Bay wins Stanley Cups is because when their backs are against the wall, they get something good. Look, Tyler Johnson was a good player for them, not nearly as good as he was before, but still a good player, and they traded his $5 million cap hit for a guy that is retired, and for the next three years, they could just stash his cap hit on LTIR. They just got $5 million in cap space by dealing Tyler Johnson, and their backs were clearly against the wall there, yeah. and Tampa still got something. Vegas traded Nate Schmidt for a third-round pick and traded Marc-Andre Fleury, a Vezina Trophy winner, for even less than that. But hey, if it gets some Jack Eichel, it's all fine and dandy. Yeah. It's just so questionable. It, it, it irks me as a hockey fan that a team this young is just so bad with asset management and just everything about making changes, it seems to be a struggle for them. I don't get it. And, and I love a lot of good things that Vegas has done the brand that they've built, the way the fans get behind that team, it's great. They're a fun team to watch. I love Mark Stone. But they got to get better at the PR thing. And this just stink, stink, stunk to see them do flurry like that. It's just Bush League. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was um, – yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm not um, – yeah, it seems like their PR is not – Terrible, I or not good. Um, I will say that, like, in in defense, or I, I I've kind of, or maybe not defense, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I've, like, you know, I've come to realize that, like, you know, that first year, uh, nothing really makes sense. It's like it's just like an like maybe it wasn't an aberration, but like they all, you know, that team didn't have Mark Stone and didn't have Pacioretty. I didn't have Pedro Angelo. So like I do like I did like those moves and those trades and so that's probably why they were realizing like oh they're going to, you know, they're still trying to get in their window. So um any move that they make it's like it's hard to question them. But yeah, it is like but my like alert fingers are still up <laughs> or my my alarm bells are are rising, I guess it's it's the same. I don't even know <laughs> what I'm trying to say, but like like um like I'm I'm not worried just yet, but like because they like they still make the playoffs even though they probably 
shouldn't have, um, at least their first year. So, so I, I'm still like thinking like, okay, maybe they are going to be, um, still a, a pretty good team. The one question that I do have though, is that they made a trade to get Evgeny Dadanov. They doesn't seem like they made any help to get a center depth. It's not that like, I hate Chandler Stevenson or anything, but it's very clear that Chandler, like the center depth is not like an issue for them. And that was another reason why they weren't able to go to the next level or able to go back into the Stanley Cup finals. So the fact that like, okay, so you deal off Marc-Andre Fleury to get some cap space and then you immediately trade for Evgeny Dadanov, which it, like, you know, I guess you don't have to get Jack Eichel. I get it. Like, you know, the Sabres are asking for quite a lot, but like to not even get a center in a trade or even sign a center in, in a, in free agency makes no sense to me. Cause it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like you have enough wingers, you have Riley Smith, you have Mark Stone, you have, uh, I'm, I'm like Pacioretty, you have like uh, a pretty good wing stuff. And like, yeah, Dadanoff could be better than he was in Ottawa fair, but he like, he's going to be your, on your third line. Um, unless he improves so, like, that, that part doesn't make sense. It's like, why are you getting a purposely bad contract? Um, and it's good for the Ottawa Senators because, like, you know, you guys got a good deal out of that. But, um, but yeah, the, the part that's like, why are you training for Dadanoff when you should be getting the center? You're, you're pretty good on wing. <laughs> that part doesn't make sense. Um, I do have some sort of an answer to that. Alex Tuck is, I think, out four, five, uh, six months due to injury. And like Dadnov, both can play either side of the wing, according to Cap Friendly. However, Alex Tuck has five years left yep. on a contract under $5 million, So he makes less than Dadnov per year. Yep. So once he comes back, then the question remains, okay, well, where do you slot Dadnov now? And you also right. still have the same problems down the middle. So you're right. Those concerns are valid. But short term, I can understand why they made the dad not yeah, trade. Because I guess they that knew does, they yeah. wouldn't have Alex Tuck for a little bit. But still, their problems at center remain. Yeah. And that is why I feel like unless they get Jack Eichel, this offseason is I or wouldn't a say center. failure, but a disappointment for Vegas. Or just a center. Like, it doesn't have to be Jack Eichel. Like, <laughs> it could be Dvorak yeah. for all Yeah, it could be Dvorak. Um but yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, I mean, I hope not. Now that the Bruins are trying, uh, it looks like the Bruins might get Dvorak. But um, but yeah, I, I see what you're. I I, I yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's I, I guess the Tuck news kind of does change things a little bit. But yeah, to your point, it still doesn't make sense because it's not like Tuck is out for the full year. Um, you, you, and, and as you're saying, that enough makes more. So, so yeah, that part doesn't make sense to me. And also, it's it, like, it who's going to be like your center? If it, it's pretty clear that in Florida, that enough benefited from Barkov being his center, um, and he didn't really have anyone in Ottawa to center him. So he, he he's kind of a line dependent guy. So it's like he's probably not going to be good in Vegas because. Like you don't have center depth. <laughs> so, according yeah. 
according to um, guys on Cap Friendly that have center experience for Vegas that are on their current roster, you have uh, William Carlson, who's got six years left on his deal. You have Chandler Stevenson, yep. who's got three years left on his deal. You have Matthias Yanmark, who's signed for another season. Uh, you have a natural center in Brett Howden, who you just got from the Rangers. He's got a year left on a cheap contract before he becomes an RFA. You have Nicholas Waugh and Keegan Colasar in the mix as well. Both of them are also going to be RFAs uh, after this year. Uh, Nolan Patrick, who's been injury-prone current RFA yep. that you have to keep around. And in their prospect pool, let's see who they have. They have Pavel Dorofeyev. Um, oh, the guy they got from Mark andre Fleury, Mikhail Hakarainen. He is also a center. Mason Primo, Maxim Marichev. Watch uh, Michael. Marcus Kelly and Kelly, Jake Lasician, Benjamin Jones, and Paul Cotter, as well as Patrick Brown and Cage Quitney. Watch uh, Michael Herrick can start becomes the top line center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he becomes yeah. a better player than William yeah. Carlson overnight, just because yeah, yeah. that's that's how the hockey world yeah, works. Exactly. Um, but but yeah, the the bottom line is, I there's only so many options you can um, put up, uh, you can slot up Kenny Dadnov in, and that yep. could impact the team chemistry that you have because you also have the patch ready. Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone line that was so, so good for Vegas. Yep. Like that line had unbelievable chemistry and you want to keep the top line together. Evgeny Zadnov, I feel like could excel on a good line, but he needs to be surrounded around the right pieces. And I don't think he was in Ottawa last year. The lone power play point he got was an assist. Right. He didn't even score a power play goal. So I don't really think he's going to single-handedly bolster the Vegas power play, but they just need some form of secondary offense, secondary goal scoring, yep. which which in, in that Puffle. sense, I think it's a good trade for Vegas too, despite the high cap hit. Right. But uh, getting back to the Marc-Andre and how it helps Chicago, I think this is a good move from the Hawks' perspective because you have a young goalie in Kevin Lankinen that I think showed signs he can be a future number one yep. goalie for them. Marc-Andre Fleury has got a year left on his current deal. He can help this young kid along. Lankinen can learn some things from Marc-Andre, and maybe this year is just the se- the type of season that he needs to springboard his NHL career. Yep. And he can be that goalie of the future for Chicago. And you look at how good of a presence Marc-Andre Fleury is in the locker room. He's a happy-go-lucky guy, a prankster, so he can lighten the mood, which I feel that dressing room kind of needs after... Um, the last couple of years and all of this um, off the ice stuff that's happening too, uh, that's generating headlines now. Uh, I feel like Marc Andre Fleury can can be a good community presence there. Yeah. So for multiple reasons, while it might be for the short term, I think this was a good move for the Blackhawks to make, and it it also helps that they didn't really give up anything to get them. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's more crazy just from this deal that like. The Vezina winner, the guy who just won the Vezina like three weeks before, get like uh, is like going to Chicago for literally nothing, uh, almost literally nothing. Um, yeah, so, and he's yeah. verbally agreed to play for them. Yeah, there yeah, was there was rumor, there was, there was speculation there was that yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, there was rumors that. that he would re- that he would retire and not play for Chicago, yeah. but now he's verbally committed on Twitter in a video 
six or seven second video that he's yeah. all in on this year and he's ready to get to work. So now that we know that um, Vegas could have gotten a lot back. And I think part of the low return is the unknown of whether or not Flurry would play or retire. Yeah. And now we know the answer. Now we know that. Yeah. Cause I, I guess there was a report that he said beforehand that if he does get traded from Vegas, that he would uh, like retire kind of like what Tuka Rass has said um, from, you know, from Boston. So, um, so there is like, you know, there was always that speculation of, Oh, like maybe he, he doesn't get there. And I guess the Blackhawks were assuming that he would go and, or like, and if he didn't, they just have a, a bunch of cap space left and they can figure out what to do. But, um, yeah, I agree. I think this does help their team. And, um, yeah, and even still, it's like, um, I feel like this league is so, um, like, you need to have two good goalies um, in this league in order to do well. And, um, which is kind of funny because, <laughs> like, uh, the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion pretty much just has one goal- good goalie. Um, but, but Vasilevsky is the exception. Um, and yeah, so I, I think, uh, in, in this time and age, like, you know, the goalie fatigue is a real thing. Um, and, and yeah, so, so I, I think it could work out where Flurry is, um, pretty good and stuff, but, um, (laughs) I will say that, uh, last year during the bubble playoffs, uh, Alan Walsh, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's agent, like ha- uh, posted a picture, tweeted a photo of uh, McCrimmon uh, putting a knife in uh, Larry uh, Leonard, uh, not Leonard's, uh, Flurry's back, um, and it said McCrimmon in there. And uh, yeah, uh, Alan Walsh was right in the end, um, especially when he, he finds out through Twitter and not not in person. So uh, Alan Walsh uh, was right in, in making that Photoshop. And and it and for anyone who thought there might have been like any sort of beef with Alan Walsh and Robin Leonard, I saw a Twitter exchange after Flurry got traded, and Al Leonard was uh, showcasing his support for Flurry, and Alan Walsh replied, "There's no beef. There's yeah. none at all." If, for anyone who thought there was that there might be any, there is not. Oh, I didn't even it's think of that. Alan, it's just Alan Walsh looking after his client, and no, unfortunately no. for Vegas, they proved him right. What was interesting though is like an hour after. Now that you mentioned Leonard and social media, um, like an hour after uh, Flurry gets treated, uh, Leonard comes out and says that he had bipolar um, and he's a person and he he was. He, I mean, he's always been a big mental health advocate uh, mm-hmm. since his resurgence. But um, but I thought that was a little bit interesting that he he said that news like an hour after Flower got. Uh, traded maybe it has something to do with the fact that there were like tweets of Leonard like um you know kind of made this trade happen which I guess in a sense happened but you know I guess sometimes we forget that you know these people are human too and they're not they're not like these uh warriors or just creatures that we um get to watch play um it should also be mentioned that that Leonard didn't ask to go to Vegas. He was yep. traded to Vegas. Vegas went too. out and got Robin Leonard. Robin sure. Leonard, the reason he's there is because Kelly McCrimmon made that trade. Right. And yeah. part of the reason why he's there, obviously, is because yeah. Leonard wanted to be in Vegas. But, of course, Kelly McCrimmon had to be the one that offered the contract. Right. And he did. Yeah. So that so, that was a team decision. And, unfortunately for Leonard, he's caught in the crossfire. Yeah, yeah. There's not if, much he can do. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to hate someone 
uh, for this, you should hate McCrimmon and not not the goalie. Um, or at, at, le- at least a civil discussion on Twitter as to yeah. why you, you really don't like it. But I, I think Leonard's being unfairly judged here because yeah. it's really tough to fill those shoes because that's how good Marc-Andre yeah. Fleury was no, and no, that's how much he meant to the fan base there. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, he was like, you know, I was thinking back to that expansion draft. He was like marketed as the guy to sell tickets on and he was the first guy that was like, okay, this is our guy. This is someone that we can we can talk about and stuff like we they weren't sure about how the team was actually going to be but we knew that mark you know you guys knew that mark andre Fleury was was always going to compete and you know so they were able to market it um him on that first time but yeah so i i guess in that sense it's it's kind of a shame that um they ended it that way but yeah we'll see um, As a one side note to the Chicago stuff before we get going, I wonder who Tyler Johnson's line mates are going to be because yeah. I over I, I saw on Twitter that probably the plan was going to be making him the third line center. Yeah, I know the Hawks have a fair amount of depth, but they they didn't keep Pius Suter on board, which right. I really don't get. And they have a lot of they have a lot of talent outside of that. But I'm I'm just curious. Um, who uh, Johnson's linemates are going to be and what the chemistry is going to be like there. Cause the bottom six scoring definitely has to be better for Chicago to be a playoff team. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I did see somewhere that they are like Chicago might still be a little bit busy that maybe Dylan Strom gets traded. Um, so maybe they, they trade him, but I mean, I, I could see that like where he's a third line center or maybe a winger, they move him to a wing um, because you, you, but like you're pretty much relying on Kirby Dak to be back to his normal self, and you're also hoping that Jonathan Taze gets back to his normal self. So that's probably the right. bigger concern. But yeah, those guys would be the top two centers um, in that system. Um, all right, so now we'll go to uh, Seattle um, and another Vezina nomination nominee. I guess he got second in votes. Is that right? I, I believe you're. I believe that's he right. He was top three in voting either way. It's it's funny how Flurry gets traded for basically yeah. nothing. Grubauer signs as a free agent, and Vasilevsky well, stays about, in Tampa. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm about to say this. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Kucherov may have been right that uh, <laughs> like Vasilevsky was the best or whatever. But yeah, uh, so Grubauer goes to uh, signs with Seattle. Uh, kind of. Uh, Steve has a habit of spoiling my news. Bearing breaking. the leads, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, continue, sorry. Thank you. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> again, I'm sure if you're if you're tuning into this, I, I assume everyone already knows uh, this news, but uh, <laughs> just more from my own sense. Like, come on, Steve, I was about to say that. Um, anyways, uh, so uh, this last year, this was kind of this kind of came as a shock. Uh, because, uh, we'll talk about the other moves too, but I guess we kind of figured that Seattle was going to make some moves in the free agent signing just based off of the picks. They, they were like 10 million off from the floor. So we knew that they had some free agent, uh, signings in the works and stuff. And there was a report that Jaden Schwartz was going to sign. He was just waiting to see what else there was going to have. There was some speculation that Landeskog was going to get signed. Uh, Dougie Hamilton was also in the mix there, too. Um, the interesting thing about Grubauer, though, and this came as a big shock, was the fact that Colorado protected him. <laughs> so 
Uh, that means that Seattle, like, I guess it makes sense for uh, guys like Schwartz and Wenberg to sign with Seattle, and I'll get into that in a second um, with their contract news. But um, the fact that Grubauer got, um, you know, like, group, like, because those Schwartz and Wenberg um, had that, like, window of a week that Seattle could talk to them. Whereas because Colorado had protected Grubauer, they couldn't talk to um, him. So, so it's just an interesting move that they must have. And especially now when they drafted um, uh, Dreger or they signed Dreger, they also uh, get Vanacek and they get um, the other guy that I'm like, oh, Joey Decord um, in the draft. Um, so... So it's like okay, they like the the goalies were kind of like their their strong points and their strength, um, and then they get Grubauer. Um, and by the way, oh, so it says here that uh, Grubauer finished third in the Vezina, which is kind of crazy. Um, he probably should have gotten second, I would think. Um, but anyways, uh, this last year he had a thirty. He went thirty nine and one. Um, he also had a save percentage of 922. His GAA was 1.95. Um, the, the thing that's interesting about Grubauer was when, like, the difference between Grubauer and they had, like, Jonas Johansson. They had Devin Dubnik as a backup. They had Hunter Minska as a backup. I'm probably missing some other guys that Colorado had as a backup. None of them worked. And <laughs> so... So Grubauer ended up playing 40 games uh, for them um, when he probably, you know, usually it's like thir around 35 or 32 or something like that, I guess, in this shortened season. So um, so that's, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, like, the fact that, like, all those backups that I just mentioned, like, uh, like Colorado, like, had to make a trade to get Jonas Johansson and Devin Dubnik, and both of them did not work. So Colorado is kind of in the lurch when this happened, especially when they protected Grubauer. So I, I imagine this came as a shock to Colorado. They probably, they there was rumors that Seattle was probably going to get Landeskog or may have gotten Landeskog. So they were probably worried about Landeskog moving away. Um, but then all of a sudden Grubauer is the one to go. Um, and anyways, it's, it's kind of interesting because now it's like, okay, what does Seattle, what does Seattle do? Um, but at the same time, and we just talked about this with, um, Chicago and, and pretty much every team except for Tampa, like you need a, you need two, two goalies, uh, now in this league. So, so yeah, Chris Drager, I kind of feel bad for him because he probably didn't expect Grubauer uh, to come in and stuff and and all that stuff. But but to, to be fair, that uh, Ron Francis admitted they didn't expect Grubauer to be yeah. on their radar. Yeah, so, exactly. Neither so, did the team, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, that that makes it crazier too. But like, um, by the way, uh, Grubauer signs for six years for five point nine million. There was some issue where like it. it got rejected at first because they were front-loading his contract but it seems like they they figured it out so um he's yeah, still, to, yeah to confirm on that um 
Hockey Night in Canada uh, posted a web article and it said um, a person speaking to the Associated Press on condition of an anonymity on uh, Sunday because uh, the team didn't announce the change, yep. but apparently. $250,000 U.S. dollars is being moved from the 2023-24 salary to 2022-23 to satisfy the requirements. And that's basically all that needed to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. So and Basically, apparently, yeah. I guess this is because this is what caused this, the 2013 lockout was um, the fact that you had um, uh, tw- uh, the... Um, like like a lot of contracts were like signed for long term, like Ilya Kovalchuk and Roberto yeah. Luongo Ovechkin, um, were the big examples of that. But like all these teams were like putting all the, like a lot more money in the back end of the contract, um, and it it made it like there were like thirteen year deals and stuff. So then I yeah, I feel like thing. Duncan Keith was yeah. was one as well. Yeah, Duncan Keith. Yeah, there's a few other ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Shea Weber, I think. Um, So yeah, there's 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 a few of them still left, but um, but yeah. So I I I didn't realize this, but it must have been a change they made because for that lockout. But like apparently, uh, the last years can't be twenty five percent or more than the first year you're making, um, even though the cap it is the same. So that, that part I didn't know about, but yeah, so it's a minor issue. It's kind of embarrassing, but, um, but we'll, we'll see. I, I think we were making, we were making fun of Vegas for the similar things. Uh, back I've, in the I've, I've heard other um, things that are much worse that make a team look worse. I yeah. think the Sens in their first draft, um, there were a lot of unfortunate shenanigans that happened behind right. the scenes Look well, really, really this, bad, so. I feel like the Sens were trying to be bad that first year. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. They were I've very, heard. very bad. I don't know how you try to be that bad. Well, from what I've heard, it's like they purposely like like they were planning on being good in the future. So they like they didn't go to like Vegas level, obviously, but they were like they just picked bad players purposely. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways. Um, but like I was saying, it seems like Grubauer is going to be like the one A. Chris Treger is going to be the one B, um, and and maybe it's like maybe uh, Grubauer is not going to be relied upon as much as he was in Colorado. He even said as much where he says that like in this league, like kind of what I just said a couple minutes ago of like you know in this league you need <laughs> need two goalies. So he has no problem if Treger gets a couple more starts than him or if they split the starts. So um, I would imagine that's what's going to happen. It's just an interesting move from that standpoint. Um, what do you have on Grubauer? And we'll get into Schwartz and Weinberg in a second. Obviously, Grubauer brings the pedigree. If you look at the numbers with Washington, they were definitely promising in the backup role that he had behind Braden Holtby. And there were times in that period of time where um, he was getting minutes of an NHL starter. In fact, in that playoff series against Columbus, it didn't start out well for Washington, but he started games one and two of that series until Holtby came in, took over, and the rest is history. The Cats win the whole darn thing. Um, but then he goes to Colorado, continues to post good numbers in increased roles, 
And this year was arguably his finest year, as you said, top three uh, vote-getter for the Vezina. Very, very good year. You had a feeling that one team or multiple teams were going to offer a ton of money to get this guy on their team. Um, I think he needs to be utilized in the right place. I don't think he's a starter like Andre Vasilevsky where he can play any number of games you want him to. Um, and he can still kick ass regardless of how often he plays. I think there's a threshold that they need to keep him under for him to be at his best. At the same time, I I think he is a very capable number one goalie. I think they're going to find a good system with him and Chris Drieger. And you look at the defense around them, like Adam Larson and Jamie Alexiak, big, big defensemen that are going to make it tougher for the offense to get scoring chances. And when they do, uh, I think Drieger and Grubauer in the right situation are able to make those saves and form a solid tandem. So I think, I think the goalie tandem definitely looks better now. Um, they managed to move Vanacek back to the other Washington, the Washington they got him from, and they got a second round pick out of it. So yay, they, they got a better return than Vegas did for Florida. Congrats, Ron Francis. Congrats to you. Proud of you. Um, but I, I, I think I think it's I think it's a good term. Maybe I would have liked four years or five years instead of six. Um, but I, I think the cap hit is good enough for Grubauer. Um, I, I I I'm I'm interested to see how they're gonna spend the rest of their cap space and I was having a chat with one of my colleagues at work and he felt that Seattle took the wrong approach with their cap space. What Vegas did is they didn't spend the cap space right away and uh, it ended up being the right approach for them. But even still at the start of free agency, and this was after they had signed Adam Larson, they had signed Chris Drieger, they had signed uh, Jamie Alexiak to those deals they still had just over $30 million to spend on the open market. And they used some of it on Grubauer. Um, as we'll talk about in a bit, they signed Jaden Schwartz and Alex Wenberg too, bearing the lead again. Sorry, Brett. Um, <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't get... dwell into the contract details, so I appreciate yeah. that. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm glad I didn't go too far. I, ar- I already spoiled that they were signed. So yeah. <laughs> um, at the moment, though, they still have $16.3 million yep. left in cap space, which is top 10 in the league in terms of cap space uh, flexibility. So that's good. So uh, maybe they can go out and sign someone like Thomas Tatar to, like, I don't know, a one-year $3 million yep. deal, get some secondary scoring on the board. They, they could use some more goal scoring there. Um, but if you look at the type of players that might be available next year, that is where I think the cap space is going to come in handy, especially with the flat cap still in effect. Because yep. at that point, Alex Barkov could be available. Johnny Gaudreau could be available. Thomas Hurdle could be available. Your boy Patrice Bergeron, he could he could be out there. Better not. Maybe. It's a slim chance, but he could be there. Uh, you also have guys like Sean Couturier, Evgeny Malkin, Philip Forsberg, Mika Zibanejad, Claude Giroux. Um, yep. You have secondary guys like Andre Pallad and Bradley Smith, Andre Burakovsky, Brian Rust, Vincent Trocek, Nazem Kadri, Ryan Strom, David Perron, Ricard Raquel. 
all of those guys could help Seattle. Yeah. And then on the back end, you have guys like Darnell Nurse, Morgan Riley, John Klingberg, Ryan Pulak, Matias Ekholm, Fulton Pareko, and a couple of other secondary names that could be of use to them. So I think for the most part, they're going to save their cap space for next year's UFA class because that's when they can really strike it rich. At the moment, there aren't really too many big names out there that serve a purpose for the Kraken long term. Yeah. But I think next year is where they can really, to to do a play on words here, capitalize on their cap space. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Um I, I will say I, I will get into Jaden Schwartz and Wenberg in a second, but I will say on that note because you did email me this uh, last night, um, we kind of said like we kind of said the same thing about Vegas um, in a way like yeah Vegas probably didn't rely so much on the free agent signings and stuff like that but we were very critical of Vegas we we did in fact we thought that they were going to be another like bottom seller team and it turns out we were like dead wrong on that and like even to the point where like they signed this khl guy uh, shipachov um yeah. and then they also uh like they moved uh, shea theodore to the ahl at the beginning too so it's like mm-hmm. you know we were very very critical of what vegas was doing so i always want to like put that into perspective obviously vegas is an exception i'm not saying that seattle is going to the stanley cup finals I mean, their first year, that's uh, very unrealistic. But, but, but we should also, like, um, let that be a lesson that, like, it could happen again. <laughs> it could, like, they could still make the playoffs. Um, so I'm, I'm not ready to say that, like, they failed miserably. Yeah, there are some players that they probably should have drafted. Um, maybe they were expecting to get Landeskog or Dougie and they didn't end up getting them. Um, so maybe that was a part of their bigger plan. Um, but I, I kind of like the fact that they're kind of like willing to make their own mistakes and they're not taking on contracts that other teams, like mistakes that other teams made in terms of contracts. So, so I, I do appreciate that sense of it, like where, where it's like, okay, we're like allowing them to make their own mistakes and not, and not try to like take on like Carey Price or Vlad Tarasenko, um, and stuff like that. Um, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, maybe they do end up making more moves, but, um, but, but yeah, I think they're going to try to see like, how are they going to do in the first half? Kind of did a little bit like what Vegas was doing and then start to think, think like, okay, maybe we should start to like, uh, rebuild for, uh, the next year's draft and, and get picks that way. Cause they could still do it. Um, they could trade like, guys like Jared McCann or Appleton or even like Mark Giordano or something. So, so they, they could still like, they have some pieces if they wanted to um, rebuild and get some picks next year. Um, The other thing. Okay. So now uh, the big reveal, (laughs) Jaden Schwartz gets uh, five years at 5.5 million uh, per, uh, per year. Um, and then we also have um, Alex Wenberg, um, who get, has uh, three years with four, making four point five million per year. Um, I guess we'll start with you. Also, it should also be noted Wenberg has a modified no trade clause, a ten-team no trade yeah. list. 
Um, I should also, I, I think I mentioned this before, that Jane Schwartz kind of said that he was waiting to, he was probably going to sign with Seattle, but uh, he was waiting to see who else they signed. So, so maybe, like, I wonder if maybe they told him that, like, oh, yeah, we're going to get Dougie, we're going to get Landeskog. And then, like, it was interesting, too, because, like, the minute Grubauer signs, then Schwartz signs. So, so maybe he's like, oh, like, it's funny because you were saying that Ron Francis uh, probably, like, didn't expect that. But I wonder if Grubauer doesn't sign um, if Schwartz signs. Um, that, that would be pretty interesting. I, I don't know if that would, that would happen. Um, what I what I do know about Schwartz's contract, uh, Cap Friendly is telling me first three years he's also got a no move. Oh wow! Forget a no trade. He's got a no move clause, and then uh, the final two years of Schwartz's contract, there's a modified no trade. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think they would probably trade him if they do start to suck anyways. Just because, like, I mean, or maybe Schwartz is just like, you know what, I I want to go to another team anyway, so you would just remove it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see what that's saying there. Anyways, uh, Jaden Schwartz uh, gets a, um, he, uh, he had 21 points in 40 games last year for St. Louis. So that's, that's not bad. He's usually more of a playmaker than he is like a sniper. Um, so so it, I could see maybe his, um, his uh, kind of his uh, point totals go down a bit just because he's a playmaker. On the other hand, he does have Jordan Eberle. He will have Alex Wenberg. He'll probably be on the top line, so um, so he will be able to pass and stuff. But uh, it's not like he's going to have Vladimir Tarasenko on his on his wing or uh, Braden Shen. So so that that part's going to be a little bit interesting uh, just to see how he does um, when there's like not many scorers on the team for him. So so yeah, we'll see about that. Um, and then, uh, Wenberg, uh, he's kind of had an interesting career so far. Uh, he had a phenomenal rookie year, uh, where he had, uh, oh, sorry, not a phenomenal rookie year, I guess. He had, okay, his second year, uh, he had 40 points in 69 games, um, and then he had 59 points in 80 games the, um, the day, um, the season after where he had 46 assists. So he's another playmaker type player. Um, and then he kind of like kind of dwindled down um, the next couple of years in Columbus. Um, and then he kind of had a bit of resurgence this resurgence this year in Florida where he had 29 points in 56 games. So just a little bit more than a half point per game. Um, and yeah, so that's, um, that's an interesting move as well. I, I think the, Again, kind of like Schwartz is Wenberg is is a playmaker too, so he passes more than he shoots, um, and that that'll be un- interesting to see um, who will like you know who will be the sniper type player for them um, and, and stuff like that. But the good news is that he is a center. We were talking about this last week that like Seattle didn't really take that many centers um, because there weren't really any centers available at the time. So they actually get someone that could be decent for them now. And it's not like they, they need Matty Beniers to play right away. So, so that's good in that sense as well. Uh, cause they also have Yanni Gord, um, in the system as well, who plays a bit of center as well, if I believe. Um, but he's going to be out for four months, um, and mm-hmm. he'll be back in January. 
but yeah. um but yeah so so like they kind of have two centers and Yanni Gordon Alex Winberg and that's not bad so or and Kelly Yarencrock uh when Gord is out so that that's not a bad um group of players um in in that sense and kind of like you know, then you add like Junis, uh, Don's going in the mix. You add Jared McCann in the mix. You had Jordan Eberle, who I just talked about in the mix. Mason Appleton didn't have a bad season last year. Colin Blackwell, same thing. Um, all of a sudden, you have a pretty good top nine, um, no matter how the lines end up shaking out. So, so yeah, that, that, it's a pretty good uh, list of forwards um, if this is, in fact, what the deal is. Um, the final team. Yeah, and uh, I, it'll be interesting to see what Wenberg can do because um, he was more of a secondary scorer, and I think he had the right pieces in Florida for him to uh, really thrive there. Um, and and Florida was a unique team in terms of how the chemistry works, so I'm interested to see uh, how he lines up. It'll probably be the first line center to start because Gord is injured. Um, Any was coming off a season where he got a career-high 17 goals. His career-high was 13, and after he got 13, before he had that 13-goal season, um, that was his only double-digit goal total up until he got 17-56 and 56 with Florida last year. And even then, uh, 29 points in 56 games, that's, you know, bigger poison around like 40 to 60 points in a normal 82 games. So... Not really sure what to expect from him offensively, but I think it, last year is definitely something to build off of. So that's a good pickup, and I like the term, only three years. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and they can move on from him eventually. But um, I, think that was, I think that was a good um, contract for both sides there. Um, maybe the cap hit was a bit high, but I guess I can live with $4.5 if it's for three years. Um and it should also be noted that Wenberg is a natural center. Like, he hasn't really played any other position. Yep. They need a lot of that in Seattle. Um, they don't have too many natural centers to work with, so he helps in that regard. They also needed a natural left winger, and Gene Schwartz is that guy too. So that's another way uh, the Schwartz contract is good for them. I looked at some of his stat lines, and they look pretty promising, but I feel like it seems to be one good year – or one great year, and then he takes a little bit of a step back, whether it's point production or injuries, and then it's it the up-and-down cycle continues. So I'm interested to see on a five-year deal um, if the regression starts to hit or he's consistently a top-six forward for them as he's been with St. Louis. So, um, But either way, a very good leadership uh, at, as well for the Kraken. I, I like Jaden Schwartz's leadership abilities as well. Yeah, um, it should be interesting to see how they do um, in the long term and stuff. Um, so, uh, sorry, give me one second. Okay, um, so now um, we're going to the Bruins corner. Uh, we haven't done this in like two years, but um, but I figured uh, it's worth it this time because um, a lot of stuff happened with the Bruins in the last month. Um, so um, so yeah. Um, so I'm just going to start, um, it was, it was actually kind of funny, uh, cause during free agent day, we were to, to transition here. Uh, Steve had emailed me saying that like, cause, 
uh, the Bruins had made all these different moves, and uh, they still haven't signed Krejci. They still haven't signed uh, Tuka Rask. Um, and I, you know, I was getting kind of scared, and we were also talking about Seattle and their moves. And then Steve <laughs> suggested that David Krejci should go to Seattle. And Emphasis on suggestion. Yes. Yeah, but I read it as David, like, as it was like, David oh, Krejci yeah. goes to Seattle. And that's an indicator that that's how, like, and I was livid. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, that's like, crazy. yeah, buzz off. And then, and then I was, yeah, I, I swore at Steve, and Steve knows that I, <laughs> I never really swear at him. That was the first time I was legitimately mad at you because you, you kind of, I, I, I guess I, I, I'll, I'll admit I, I messed up because I thought you were saying that was the news because that's what we usually do. But I was in, just like, in, in fairness, though, I feel like the Bruins did a lot of good. Well, wait, by like, we're we're, by we're like, about to get into so, it, but yeah, um, but just it, with everything that they've done, I'm just was, thinking if they lose David Krejci, it's not that bad, you know. That was yeah. my take on. Except I disagree, and and that's <laughs> that's uh, that's what I'm about to get into. So, if you haven't heard, uh, David Krejci, um, instead of signing with the Bruins or any NHL team, he's deciding to go to the Czech League uh, to play off presumably the rest of his career. I guess um, there there was a saying that if he were to like, apparently the Czech League ends in um, in March. So he could theoretically like uh, end the season and then go back to Boston. However, t- according to Ty Anderson, uh, he'd have to clear waivers first before um, he uh, he signs with the Bruins. And I would pr- I would assume a team would claim David Krejci before uh, he gets there. Um, Y'all, I want to start off with the good stuff, and then we'll talk about like what this means for the Bruins. Um, afterwards but i do want to like highlight because i guess this is kind of like a bit like a retirement even though he technically is still playing um he said that he wants to give his friends and his family a chance to see him play while while he still has something left um he also wants to raise his kids in the czech republic um and uh he also said that the pandemic affected him and he he just had to leave um, and it was always a possibility because um, I think there were some notions that he was going to like, like, I think he said that a couple of years ago that at the end of this contract, he was going to go to uh, the Czech Republic and stuff. But like, it was still pretty shocking that he, he left because um, I, I think any, um, and I'll get into it, but I, I think uh, he's probably one of the most underappreciated, underrated players in the entire league, not just for Bruins, but in the entire league. Um, and he also he also mentioned that he wanted to play in the Czech leagues beca- because, like, his parents made a bunch of sacrifices in order to, like, have him have this fan- phenomenal career that he's had. So he wanted uh, his parents to get a chance to see him while they're still alive and stuff. So, so I, I think that's a very noble move, very classy, um, and I really hope that he. I, I'm I'm glad that he's able to make this decision and um, and all that stuff. And I hope he kills it in the Czech Republic. I may even watch some of his games if <laughs> I feel like they're probably going to be on at like three in the morning. But I might I might actually do it because I'm going to miss that guy. Um, and all the reports that I saw, all the stories I saw 
over the weekend, like, just said how, like, how, like, he was one of the classiest guys in the, um, in the world, and if you guys, like, <laughs> we've talked about this for, like, six years now, uh, Boston Media is not the, uh, greatest place, um, for, uh, if you're, like, they're very critical about everything, but I don't think I saw any media member who hated him, which is, um, just impressive in it, in a, in it of it itself. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, it was still pretty shocking because, you know, he still has some years left and, you know, maybe he will make a return in the NHL, but, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I, I think I saw that he signed with a Czech team for one year, so that's pretty interesting. But first, I do want to start off with, uh, just talking about how great David Krejci was for the Boston Bruins. Um, first off, he, you know, I'll, I'll list some stats here. He played for 15 years, um. He played in 962 career games. Um, in those games, he had 215 goals, 515 assists for 730 career points. Um, and to put that into perspective in franchise history, that puts him 7th in games played, 7th in assists, and 8th in points. Um, uh, and 15th in goals, and all in franchise history, um, which just makes that even more impressive since the Bruins have been around since 1924. So it's like a hundred years, almost a hundred years of existence, and he's he's on like the top 10 in most of those those categories. Um, he's usually good for 60 or 70 points. Um, and obviously, like, you know, Bergeron is great, and he gets talked a lot about. Brad Marchand is great, and he gets talked a lot about. Um, you know, same with Chara when he was here. Uh, but, um, but yeah, he, like, you know, he never, like, he hardly ever got injured, which is just, um, you know, great just from that perspective. But, like, he was probably our most consistent guy when you consider injuries. Because, like, Bergeron's great, but he sometimes gets injured. Um, so, so that, that's, um, that's kind of like a key thing where he was probably one of our most consistent guys. Um, and then, um, also he, like, he may have played a little bit with David Pasternak at the beginning of Pasternak's career, but, uh, he doesn't have the luxury that Bergeron has where he, where Bergeron plays with Marshawn and Pasternak in his prime, um, and his best line mates, besides the 16 regular season games with Taylor Hall, were Milan Lucic and Jerome Aginla after his prime. I guess you could also make a case that Nathan Horton uh, was also there, but I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, he also uh, was quite the playoff performer. Um, he had 124 playoff points in 156 playoff games. That's roughly 80% of his playoff games he scored a point, um, including in the 2013 playoffs where he led the league um, in the playoffs in, uh, with 26 points. The next closest that year was Patrick Kane with 18 points. So that's an eight-point gap in that one uh, playoffs. Uh, that's crazy. He also had the... Um, I was actually there at the game in the 2011 Stanley Cup uh, Eastern Conference Finals that uh, against Tampa, where it was one nothing, and he uh, he passes it a beautiful pass to uh, Nathan Horton, 
um, and, and Nathan Horton scores it, and, and, uh, and that allowed the Bruins to get into the Stanley Cup Finals and, and later win the, the game. So he also has that to his name as well. So he's he's been one of the most, um, like, I, I think everyone expect, uh, respected his playoff stats, um, especially because he was, he was, like, he always turned it on uh, during the playoffs. Um, even this year, he was pretty good. Um I, I actually didn't even realize this, but I found this out on Twitter today, too. Um, how many... So, since 2006, how many players do you think were better in points than David Krejci, Steve? Since 06. Yeah, where does he rank in points for the playoffs? In, in playoff points. Oh, boy. Um, Crosby. Yep, that's one. Uh, Malkin. Yep. Um, <laughs> Bergeron. Nope. Mm. All right. This and you is... said how many? How many players have more playoff points than? Well, I, 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 I never told you a number. I thought you were gonna like say what players, but uh, I, 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 I'll just spoil it for you. There's. there's... I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say there are 11 playoff players with more points than Krejci since 06. Wow. No, there was actually four. There's only, he's oh. fifth in playoff points since 2006. Sidney um, okay. Crosby, you were right. Evgeny Malkin, you were right. Alex Ovechkin and Patrick Kane were the other two players. Oh, right, okay. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, that's pretty good company. I think he's even, like, third if you count since, like, 2011, uh, which is even crazier if you think about it that way. Wow, so he had more playoff points than Taves. Yeah, That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, he had a, uh, yeah, and, and Bergeron, as you were mentioning, too. Yeah, so um, he does have a cup, as I mentioned. And uh, I, I guess in the media world and, like, just when I was ever talking about to Bruins fans and I I saw that he, um, he you know, he was making $7 million per year. Um, and that's a little bit much uh, compared to what Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, and David Pasternak are making right now, who are both under $7 million. So um, he was never like that, but still one of the most underappreciated Bruins player. Um, and perhaps, I, I would argue, the most underrated NHL player in the last 15 years, uh, maybe of all time. If, if Steve's Steve thinking that he was 11th in playoff points when he was actually 4th in playoff points, kind of shows that, uh, yeah, he was definitely under underrated and underappreciated a bit. Um, I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. Patrice Bergeron's great. Brad Marchand's great. And Zidane is great. Um, but, um, but yeah, he was always overshadowed, uh, by those guys in his career in, in Boston. Um, and, and again, he probably won't get in the hall of fame. Um, but I will personally protest if I ever see another Bruins player wear number 46, he, that number deserves to be in the Raptors. Um, I'm not sure what I'll do if, if that ever happens, because I, I would imagine he'll get his number retired. Um, they're probably waiting for him to officially retire uh, from hockey, but but I'll, I'll, I'll do something. Um, and, um, and I'll get to the Bruins offseason signings and what they do now, but I, I just wanted to give, I, I want to give you a chance, Steve, on, on Creechie's career. Well, taking a look at... Um the numbers that he put up his second year he had 73 points and 22 goals that was his first 
50 assists plus season. He had 51 assists that year. Um, he went on to have another 250 plus assist season. He had 50 in 2013 14, and he had 53 three seasons ago, 2018 19. And that year, he had his final 70 plus point season. He had 73 in 81 games. Yep. Uh, he also had his fourth 20 plus goal season. He had 20 on the nose that year. But consistently, this guy was getting 50, 60, 70 points, as you said, on the second line. Yeah. Second line center being that much of a consistent score, pretty impressive. In terms of an 82 game pace, let's see. Um, 73 in year two, 68 year four, 64 year five, 71 year six, or 71 year seven, I should say, 72 in year nine, 74 in year 11, and then 71 this past year. So a, a lot of the seasons that he played of close to a majority of the seasons that he played, this dude was averaging like 60 to 70 points over 82 games. If yep. he played all of that. And there were times where he didn't even reach 60 games. He played 56 games as a rookie. He had uh, in a shortened season. Well, I guess he had 47 games played, but he had 33 points. Uh, he had 47 games in 2014, 15. He played in 64, 2017, 18, um, and, uh, this year he played 51 out of 56. So all things considered, he was a pretty consistent, uh, scorer for them. The reason why I felt like Krejci may or may not come back, uh, certainly not at 7 million. I think yep. both, uh, I would like to think both sides would be open to, yeah, I, I think he. I think he even happen. said that if he were to come back, it would be a team-friendly deal or something. Yeah, like that. I, because I, I, that was before this announcement. But I think he said that in the off-season after the season. That, yeah, and the re um, the reason yeah. I say that is because prior to Taylor Hall arriving, his numbers weren't looking as good as they were, and then Taylor Hall comes into the picture yeah. and he catches fire. Right. So I think. It would have been nice to keep that chemistry with him and Hall uh, alive there. And and I feel like even though the Bruins did a couple of things uh, to improve their team, we'll get to those later, later on in this segment, yep. I do think they have a gaping hole at center that they need to fill, the second-line center position. Yep. Maybe Charlie Coyle can fill it, but if he can't, there are only so many guys on the open market for the time being that fit that bill. Eric Stahl. Yep. And I don't know. Marcus Johansson, maybe they bring right, him back. Right. And after that, you're, you're kind of low on options. So for the short term, at least, uh, the Bruins uh, might have a tough time filling that second line slot. So that, so, so that's where I, I, I think um, people are really going to, realize how good of a player David Krejci yeah. was when they look at his replacement and they go, oh, he's our second-line center now? That's not what I was hoping for. Right. That that was kind of like when I, I emailed you that Krejci, um, Krejci uh, went to the Czech Republic. Like, my next line is, and we're doomed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, except I didn't use the word doomed. Um, so... 
Um, I'm, I'm aware that we're going to miss Krejci, um, not just because of his leadership uh, stuff, because he did wear the A. I'm actually not sure who's going to wear the A now. I'll probably go to, I would imagine, Carlo or McAvoy, maybe Coyle. Yeah, that's that's yeah. interesting. This is the second straight year where the Bruins have lost a significant leader. It was yeah. Chera last year, now Krejci. And they could lose Bergeron next year, and I'm going to cry. Like, I'm, if you think this is bad, I'm going to, like, we're going to devote a whole episode to that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, so, yeah, just from a leadership standpoint, but also, like, just from a depth standpoint, it's not great. Um, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, so, so, uh, so this hap- all this stuff happened before Krej- the Krejci announcement um, happened. And I'm going to just talk about it first, like, <laughs> like just from the deals. And then, and then I'll talk about what they're going to do with Krejci not being there. Um, so first, Hall, Taylor Hall sign, resigns. Um, like almost on the day that uh, the roster freeze goes back up after the, um, you know, the C- Seattle expansion drafts. So Taylor Hall signs for four years at six million. I, um, I really love this deal um, because, um, yeah, it's because, it's, uh, you know, we were kind of expecting Taylor Hall to get around seven or eight million um, and maybe a longer term. And I, I don't know if I would have been happy with that. But, um, but it does seem like Taylor Hall, like, he fit in so well, um, even though he only played in a couple, like, 12 games, regular season games. Uh, yeah, he may have been a little bit disappointing um, in the playoffs, but um, I, I kind of, I always had, like, a feeling, like, I was never worried that we weren't going to sign Taylor Hall. Um, and I'm saying we because I'm, I'm talking about the Bruins. I know I'm not a part of the Bruins, but... Um, <laughs> You just have to get used to it. Um, yeah, he had 14 points in 16 games for the Boston Bruins, um, and <laughs> that's that's almost more than what he did in Buffalo in 37 games. Um, and uh, and I think a lot of that, like, yeah, Taylor Hall is good on his own, but I think a lot of it was because David Krejci was on his was his center, um, and he's a really good center. Um, and um, and now I, I think that's the bigger concern it's like throughout like ever since Aginla left in 2014 the Bruins were looking for wingers for David Krejci and we tried everything we tried like Jake DeBrusque was probably our best uh replacement for Jerome Aginla um but uh but that never really like you know Jake DeBrusque is Jake DeBrusque um and then, um, you know, there's, like, Brett Connolly was another one. Uh, like, Brett Ritchie, his brother Nick Ritchie was also considered. His, like, uh, Andre Cache was there. His Czech uh, teammate. His, like, you know, like, I, I can't even remember all those other guys because it's, like, literally he had no uh, line mates for him. Um, and like I was mentioning before, like, Really, yes. We and and when we got a Ginla, it was really because we were missing Nathan Horton and Milan Lucic on that wing, um, and um, and and so like he ever since like the Horton, Milan Lucic, and Krejci line, we've never gotten like another like good winger for him. And then we finally do. We finally get a winger for David Krejci. Uh, in Taylor Hall, 
He's phenomenal. They they have such good chemistry. And all that happened was 16 regular season games. And um, how many games did they play in the playoffs? 11 playoff games. So, so that's 27 games overall of Taylor Hall and David Krejci that we'll never get back. Um, and, and in fact, it was like probably my my top highlight, and I still watch. I, I watched it when it uh, when he David Krejci announced it. Of um, like he was kind of like deking and diving, uh, like he was like like he looked like Connor McDavid out there. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, like, he just passes it to Taylor Hall. And I didn't even realize Taylor Hall was there and, and Taylor Hall scores because he's Taylor Hall. So it's like that part, I'm going to be like, okay, David Krejci, like just turn another gear because you have another guy like Taylor Hall. Cause, uh, t- you know, cause usually, I mean, people kind of called the Bruins a one line team, but uh, David Krejci made them even scarier because it's like, okay, uh, you don't have to worry about Bergeron when he's not on the ice, but now you have to deal with David Krejci, and 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 he could uh, he was very good even when he had uh, bad line mates on his side instead of what Bergeron was able to do. So so that's that's something that like I feel like is is going to be the big missing piece to it. And then why I started to freak out that, like, oh, like, if he goes to Seattle, it's like, why would he do that? Like, <laughs> he's, you know, so, so that, that, when I thought he was going to Seattle, I was just like, like, I, I had like a five stages of grief. I ended up having that, um, two years, two, two days later, but, um, but still, anyways. Um, so yeah, Taylor Hall gets re-signed. Uh, then, in terms of other moves, uh, Mike Riley resigns for three years at three million. I also like that deal. Um, not too bad. He he played pretty well for Boston. Um, yeah, I guess he could be better defensively, but you know, I I could say the same thing about uh, Tory Krug and Tory Krug made a little bit more money um, than uh, Mike Riley did. So I I don't hate that trade. I don't hate that signing. But then. Uh, free agent take happens, and the first signing we get is Derek Forbert at the same contract as Mike Riley, uh, three years at three million. And do you know how bad Derek Forbert is? He's so bad that Winnipeg, a team that needs defensemen, um, d- didn't want him. Didn't didn't even consider signing him. Uh, that's how bad he is. And you sign him for $3 million at three years. Yes, he's a left-handed defenseman. That's that's kind of a, been a big need, especially with Wachara and um, Tory Krug out. Derek Forbert. The left-handed defenseman they desperately needed turned out to be Derek Forbert. Exactly. So it's like, like that, that, like you know, this is like, we're not even talking about what's going to happen in goal, what's going to happen with David Krejci. Like, they needed to, like, get a left-handed defenseman. And, like, Keith Yandel was out. Like, yeah, Keith Yandel's probably not great defensively, but, you know, he's still... He signed for 900K as well. <laughs> yeah, he signed for nothing. Ryan Suter, I, I'm happy we didn't sign him, especially with the contract that he ended up getting. Like, you know, Alf Martinez would have been nice. Uh, Derek Forbert, I didn't even hear... Like, like that's that's crazy. Um, so... To put it in perspective, yeah. Suter made just under $4 million yep. per year. And so Derek Forbert is getting a little bit less than Ryan Suter is. Right. 
And it's like, it's also like, so the other thing that's interesting about this is that, so Mike, Matt Grizzlick's going to be your top line left-handed defenseman. Fine, he's been good. Mm. Um, but you sign Mike Riley to be your second pair defenseman, and that's that's pretty cheap for a second pair defenseman. But then you get like Derek Forbert for that same amount, <laughs> for the same, the same years, the same contract. What 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 are the what what Sweeney's thinking here? That that makes no sense to me. I, I I don't know what's going on. I hope like obviously on all these signings, I hope there's something going on. But uh, like you, you know, I hope they're right about this. But. Uh, Bargaining chip for a Jack Eichel trade? Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> they, Derek Barber is basically the guy they signed that shipped to Buffalo so they get Jack, get Jack Eichel. Probably what happens. <laughs> I, 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 I might become a like a Sabres fan at that point just because I, even, I, feel, I would feel then, so bad for them. <laughs> even I, I think one point two five or one point five million yeah. is a good amount for Forbert. When I first saw that deal, I'm thinking, ew, that's an overpay. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I like Mike Riley and, and that might have been a little bit of an overplay, but Derek Forbert, what? Like that that means yeah, no sense. Like I, yeah. I, I I think it might be a bit of an overpay yeah. for Riley, but I would be more comfortable paying Riley exactly. three million than Forbert. Okay, so then so um, we're on the same page. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, I don't know when all these uh, these other moves happen, but I'm gonna go by biggest news to smallest news here. Yeah, um, sure. So Linus Olmark gets four years at five million. Um, this one, I, I thought, I, like, I figured that with Tuka Rask out for, until January. There was, a, yeah, and, like, you don't know what you have with Swayman, even though he looked impressive uh, towards the last half of the regular season. I can understand why um, they get a new goalie. I'm still not sure why they do four years. Maybe this is also a sign that Tuka Rask may be worse off than what we're led to believe. Um, so maybe Tuka Rask is also going to retire, which will be crazy, too. But, um, so that's definitely possible, but... Um, but like, there's also the, the standpoint of like, okay, as, as I talked about before, um, that, uh, well, first off L Linus Olmark, um, people don't realize this, but he had a winning record on the Buffalo Sabres this year. Um, that's like, <laughs> that's probably the most impressive thing, uh, in the NHL season. He somehow had uh, a winning record in Buffalo. The issue, though, is that he missed basically most of the season. So, um, so it is a good deal if he can stay healthy. And I could see it happening where J Jeremy Swayman pulls this Andrew Raycroft type thing, and Linus Ulmark gets injured again, and then all, and then when you trade Daniel Vladar, and then it's like, and Tuka Rask isn't going to be back till January. It's like, yeah, you you still have the top line. You you have Mark. Uh, you have uh, McAvoy, you know, you have all these guys, but like, there's a chance that the Bruins like are going to falter just because Linus Ulmark is injured, and then Jeremy Swayman doesn't end up working. So, so there is a bit of a worry, but I, I guess I'll I'll worry about it if that happens. Um, so, so just quickly, um, okay, I, can I, I did want to quickly weigh in on the Ulmark thing. Oh. Well, the I was going to mention the, the other stuff, but then, okay, whatever, fine. Uh, so 9-6-3 and three 
with a 917 save percentage and a 2.63 GAA. On Buffalo. Basically, Allmark is injured, and you look at the other goalies on Buffalo, and you're just like, bleh. Right. And when he plays, when he's healthy, the Sabres are actually winning games. And he's giving them a chance to win every single time he plays. Just put him on that Boston offense and defense and watch him go. He could have, like... I don't know, a Vezina caliber season, but he could at least be a top 10 goalie on this yeah. Boston team, assuming he is healthy. The fact the that they sign him for $5 million per year for four years, if they keep Tuka Rask, it's for a two-year deal. And then after that, they right. give Allmark the net. They buy Swayman time to develop. Maybe Swayman's the guy after those four years. Yep. But you don't give Linus Allmark that type of contract just to be their backup. Yeah, no, yeah. At and some I was, point, he's the starter. I was about to get to that. Um, yeah. So you spoiled me again. Um, thanks. And it's my team. I couldn't tell what you were going to say after that. I know, but like that's why you don't interrupt me. Uh, anyways. We're just, on, we're just on the same wavelength. I, literally, yeah. Are. But like you, you, you're saying, like I just want to say this about Omar, and I wasn't done with talking about Omar. Um, By the way, uh, nine of his 20 starts were quality starts for yep. what it's worth. That's pretty good on the Sabres. Just anyways. so you know. Okay, I'm done. To reiterate what Steve just said, thanks, Steve. Um, yes, Olmark. I, I like as I mentioned before that I, I think uh, Olmark was like had pretty good numbers if you look at the stats on a mm-hmm. Buffalo team that didn't have Jack Eichel, that didn't have like you know for most of the year they d- didn't have a lot of like it was one of the worst teams in the league or not the worst team in the league. Yeah, the worst. So. So, like, the fact that he even had a winning record on that team and had decent and pulled up decent numbers when healthy, and that's the key, is when healthy, um, you know, that, that just shows that how good he is because he, he was a, a game changer from that standpoint. And it does make you wonder if, like, if Olmark was healthy, like, if any of this would happen, that Olmark's re-signs with Buffalo, Jack Eichel is in, in a squabble with Buffalo, um, Rissalainen and uh, all these uh, Ryan Hart are still on the team or something like that. So I, I do wonder if like that, <laughs> that that could happen. Maybe Taylor Hall is still in Buffalo too. Um, anyways, uh, that's a hypothetical. But um, but yeah. So so I I do like the Allmark thing, but I am cautious of the fact that he is um, injury prone. So it's I'm still a little bit cautious on that on that front. Um, and, and I think it's a good issue problem to have, uh, when Tuka Rask does, uh, come back in January, all, all things considered, I think they're going to say that like, you know, Tuka Rask is probably going to sign once, once he's ready to go. And once he has that surgery, um, so you'll probably expect to see him signed, um, in January. So, um, and then, you know, and then you just move Jeremy Swayman down to the, to Providence once Tuka Rass signs and, and that, that can work as well. So, um, I, I, I am like you where I don't know if four years, like four years seems like a little bit much, but at the same time, 5 million and you don't know the future of Tuka Rass. There's also like, you don't know how good Jeremy Swayman can be, um, long-term or can be consistent. So, um, so yeah, I, I do like this as an insurance policy, but I, I was expecting like this third goalie to be like, you know, maybe signed for three years or two years or something like that. So I agree with that. 
Then you on, have on the plus side. On the plus side, your tandem isn't Aaron Dell and Craig Anderson, which right. is basically what Buffalo has right now. Right. So well, I mean, Buffalo is not trying to win the Stanley Cup this year, so I, I... <laughs> they're not trying to win anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Other than the lottery. Pick. Other, other than Shane Wright, yes, but, um, <laughs> but, but like my point being is that like you can't really compare them to Buffalo. Um, Eric Halla signs with uh, for two years at two point three five million. Uh, Nick Foligno signs for two years at three point eight million, and then you also have Thomas Nosek for two years at one point seven five million. All of these deals were were pretty good because I thought like, okay, you're you're kind of putting up your good like bottom pair um, forwards. That you know that makes sense. Uh, Foligno had like he he's kind of a decent power forward. He has he has some veteran leadership stuff. So. Um, he's he's also like David Krejci. He's pretty good in the playoffs too. So so that's not a bad pick. I like that. Apparently, he said that one of the biggest factors of signing with Boston is because uh, one of our hospitals here uh, saved his daughter's life. Um, and and he I guess that just showed to him that like they mean there. I think the Felinos have a connection to Boston as well, but I forget what. Um, and Eric Halla, I like too. Um, Albeit it's probably going to be in like a bottom three role or a, a bottom four, like, you know, a, a fourth line type thing. But, and I'll get into that. This was before I knew that David Krejci wasn't signed. But I, I remember thinking at that time, it's like, all right, these are these are nice bottom six guys. And, and that can help fulfill our lineup. But, like, at that point, we had zero dollars left in cap space. And I was thinking like, okay, mm-hmm. how are you, so they're, they must be making some cap dump move because Krejci is not signed. Tuka Rask is not signed. And I could understand not signing Tuka Rask just because, you know, he's about to get surgery. So you can just sign him in January and put him on LTIR. And, and when he's ready, he's ready or something like that. So I get it from that perspective. David Krejci, I, I was like, what are, how are they going to make room? Maybe they make a trade to get Jake DeBrus. I mean, I guess when I, in hindsight, I probably could have figured that maybe David Krejci was not going to be on the Bruins and Sweeney already knew that this was going to happen. Um, but, but now I feel like, okay, so you sign these guys, but now nothing makes sense because you don't have your, you, you now have like David Krejci here. Um, and you know, like who's going to be our second line center. Um, because like now you have like goalie concerns with all three of your goalies. I guess it's a good problem to have, but still an issue. Um, Derek Forbert, what what's going on? You you didn't really improve your defense, and that was arguably the reason why we got bounced out of the defense. Is you should you Sweeney, you should be, uh, you know, so, you know, worrying about your defense because that's why <laughs> why we were out in the first place. And then now Krejci's gone, and I don't know who's going to step up because, like, yeah, I I hope. Um, like, I, I think one of the reasons why I was so excited about Jackson Nicka back in the day was that he was a center. Um, yep. And um, and I knew that, you know, Bergeron and Krejci were both uh, towards the end of their career. And uh, the Bruins are going to be in, in trouble when those guys are gone. And, um, and, you know, I felt like, okay, they still have a couple of years left where they're going to be still decent enough to be in, in those positions, but 
you know, Jackson Nicka should probably get to play a little bit. Um, but when he played, uh, first off, he played in, like, as a right winger. Um, and then you have, um, and then when, he, you know, and he, and when he did play, he was mostly on the fourth or third line or something. They did try him at center towards the end, but, like, again, like, you were trying to make the playoffs in a very tough division, so... Uh, so they kind of like put him back into the AHL or just put him on the taxi squad. So it's a little bit hard to, um, like I did kind of like what I saw, but um, I don't know if that works. Uh, Nick Foligno is, does play center apparently, but um, I guess he's more, I, I feel like he's more effective as a, a winger, but he could play center if need be. Um, Eric Halla also can play center, but... Um, I, I think I like him better on the third line. Uh, I don't hate Charlie Coyle. Um, and I thought like an, an interesting thing about his contract is that he does have a no movement clause. So maybe like they kind of figured that they were kind of grooming him to be that replacement for Krejci or Bergeron, whoever left first. Um, so, so maybe they're going to do that. But again, Ch Charlie Coyle had his worst, like his worst season um, of his career uh, 16 points in, in 51 games this year. Um, and yeah, and maybe you could blame the pandemic for that, but doesn't really inspire hope to me that he's going to be the second line center. So, so now it's like, um, what are the Bruins going to do without David Krejci? Um, because like all those guys aren't good. And even if they like, even if Charlie Coyle's somehow becomes a, like meshes well with Taylor Hall and Craig Smith. Uh, like I, I would still rather have David Krejci <laughs> and, um, and, and it, so I feel like now I'm officially worried about the Bruins. I could live with the defensive issues. I could live with the goalies uncertain future, but now you add this David Krejci departure. I, I don't know. Like the Bruins may make the playoffs, but I, I just don't, I don't see it, see them winning the cup um, because uh, unless they like somehow address the second line center or unless like Jackson Nicka steps up, which I think might be the best option, but, or Charlie Coyle steps up, but like still it's like, I, I feel like there, there is a ch chance that the Bruins don't even make the playoffs because all those stuff is huge, huge worries of mine. So end of rant. You, <laughs> very well, very well done. Well played, well yeah, played, well yeah, played. I, I respect you. I respect your insight. Thank you. I feel, I feel the Bruins give off Edmonton Oilers offseason vibes right now, yep. where they do a lot of things, and it might seem like, oh, you know, okay, I can get behind these kind of moves, except they don't really improve where you expect them to or where they should, like. Edmonton's goaltending still the same, not necessarily better. Their shutdown defense, where is it? Nobody knows. Maybe yep. Cody Cece can it might get worse it. because Highly of Duncan unlikely, Keith. But you never know. It might be even and, worse this year because of Duncan Keith. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they so, trade Ethan Bear or something. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of expectation and a lot of hope that these signings will work out, but. There's a lot of gaping holes where if they're big enough to cost your team, they definitely will. The thing about the Edmonton Oilers is 
they're in a weak enough division where they might be able to get away with it because not only are they in a weak division, they also have Connor freaking McDavid and Leon freaking Dreisaitl. The Bruins, on the other hand, are in one of the toughest divisions in hockey last year and this year because even though Tampa Bay has lost a lot of their depth, until further notice, there's still the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're still the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions. And you also have Florida who... Hey, they still have Barkov. Now they have Sam Reinhardt yep. down the middle. And their depth guy signed. Hello. They could be a threat. And you also have the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have Matthews and Tavares down the middle. So, yeah, I can I can see where the Bruins could really bite the bullet there. Because yep. those are three teams right there that could give them problems. The Oilers, probably their biggest issue is Vegas. So, and they don't have... They they also have issues down the middle. Right, so, right, right. So yeah, I, I can I can clearly see the frustration there. I, I and it's not just Hala, the center stuff too. It's like the defense and the goalie. <laughs> yeah, I I think Paula in terms of offensive upside, he could be similar to Andre Kasha, the guy that yep. can get some really good secondary scoring for them. However, he's also been inconsistent and also injured, so yeah. you're you're kind of you're kind of putting a lot of hope yeah, into good, that. Good I like point. Foligno I, as, I should, I, yeah, sorry, go on. I, I yeah, forgot to I, mention I like Foligno and the leadership, as you said, Brett, and I think there's still a bit of offense left to give there. Thomas Nosek is a good depth guy. I yep. like what he did in Vegas as well. Um, so overall, I, I think the Bruins are okay, and they've certainly done a lot. But I don't know how much better they can get, like you said, because of the cap space. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because both Tuca and David Krejci were making $7 million per. So that means that they had $14 million in cap space, which is fine, like, you know, but, like, they just choose it on these five players um, and then, and then it's like, well, wait, what, what, <laughs> what, what, yeah, what are you doing here? Yeah, they'll space just to bring back rats. Right, right. Yeah, like, I could understand it if they get, like, someone like, um, I don't even know who was, oh, Philip Deneau. Like, I could, like, that I could be excited about. But, like, I don't know, it's just, like, now I'm like, wait, what's going on? Uh, I don't know. Um, also, I'm seeing here that, I guess, Trent Frederick also plays some center, um, Chris Wagner, although he's more of a fourth-line center, he plays some center. Um, and I guess Craig Smith played some center, I guess, um, as well. So maybe those are options. I also want to mention that next year, uh, Steve alluded to this, but Patrice Bergeron is going to be in UFA. Uh, Charlie McAvoy is also going to be an RFA. Um, and judging by what Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones got, Ikel McCarr oh, yeah. got... Uh, Charlie McAvoy is going to get paid, um, and uh, Patrice Bergeron, you have to keep him. So, so like, like this is the year that if you're going to go for it, this has to be the year because you're you're going to have a sweetheart. You, you this is the last year you have a sweetheart deal with McAvoy and Patrice Bergeron, um, and and yeah, I guess you can make a case that like you know Bergeron's going to be 37 by the end of that contracts, but. He's still your your captain, so you can't like. And, and every single yeah. one of those sweetheart Pasternak years also ticks away with yeah. each passing season. Yeah, yes, that's eventually going to expire too. Yeah, he has, he has He's going to get paid as well, right? Yeah, he has two two years left. Um, so and Bergeron has one year left. So 
Like, this is the moment that you have to go for it. So I get why they were doing it. But I still felt like maybe Sweeney, like, he, he just spent all $14 million on one day. <laughs> just like, cool. Comment, just a little bit. Comment just a little bit, you know? Um, so... So that that part's a little bit strange. I I do wonder if there is like a move to to make room for Tugarask when he inevitably signs. So maybe they do trade Jake DeBrusque or something. Um, that's the only one that makes sense to me. Maybe they trade Trent Frederick. I don't know why, but maybe they do that. But, um, also, I guess there's I should also, mention there's also the debate if they get Jack Eichel somehow. Yeah, that's like ten million against the cap, so yeah. you got to find ten million in cap space for you to trade out. But Buffalo's not going to. Buffalo's not going to trade. The part about Charlie Coyle, though. You mentioned the part about Charlie Coyle. Yeah. The fact that he is a no move. What are the odds he's going to want to go to Buffalo? Yeah, you know that's like, a good point. That Sabres team, why? Yeah, uh, I I think there's rumors and rumblings, like even. Uh, before the Krejci news that there was rumblings that we were looking at Christian Dvorak, I wouldn't hate that. Um, mm-hmm. At least that's like a better, um, better option than what the Bruins have now on second line. So, so maybe maybe they do that, like reunite Taylor Hall and Christian Dvorak together because you know Hall played in Arizona there. Um, yeah. So so maybe they do that, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's definitely. I, I feel like the Bruins aren't done yet. Um, also, I should mention Nick Ritchie, Andre Cache, both going to Toronto. Um, they both weren't qualified. I was a little bit confused by that, but I guess it kind of makes sense now. It is funny also that, like, Andre, this is the third time that Andre Cache followed uh, Nick Ritchie um, in, to a, his, their third team. Um, so I guess they're like a package deal now. Um, and um, also, what was the other thing? Oh, and uh, Sean Corrali um, also went to Columbus. And I'm kind of sad about that, but I felt like that should be mentioned because uh, he was a decent bottom um, or t- you know fourth line guy for us. But um, but yeah, he's going to Columbus. I wish him well. Um, yeah. So so that's about it for us. Um, I'll I'll go be more depressed about my Bruins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere else and yeah next at week at least your team is yeah. not in rebuild mode and uh, didn't yeah. trade away a top six forward to vegas so true yeah. true it's a good point but um but yeah this is it's it's like i knew that this was happening and like i knew our window was closing but it, i don't know i mm-hmm. think it like i started to feel that way towards when we were out in the bubble and and i was like okay at least at least we have crazy and bergeron and and stuff and now it's just like Oh, it's it's hitting me that like <laughs> this might be the last turn at the can for quite a while, and I I don't even hate the rebuild. Like I think the Bruins actually drafted pretty well this year, but um, but yeah, it's, it's now it's just like it's just sad because like I grew up on David Krejci, I grew up with uh, Chara, I grew up with Tori Krug. It's just it's now it's like okay, I guess I guess now Charlie McAvoy and David Pasternak, who I love. Um, but it's it's just it's just sad because all these guys are moving, and I don't even want to think about the fact that Bergeron might might leave or retire or something like that. So yeah, I feel I feel <laughs> like you're 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 feeling like the same way I felt with the Sens when I thought, oh, there's yeah. I can't see the Sens without Alfredson or without right. Carlson or without yeah. Mark Stone, and That's then right. all those guys left, and it's just 
now now I'm at the stage where I'm just like, okay, another one left. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little <laughs> bit different because like for you, Alfred's like, except for Alfredson, all the other guys are still playing in the NHL. Like even Jason Spezza yeah. is still playing. Whereas like here it's like, and I guess you could make the same case about Chara and Krug, but like here it's like, oh, he actually retired, <laughs> or like he actually is not playing in the NHL this year, um, for good reason. Um, but but yeah, it's just um, it's just you know it's just sad, um, and and I'll miss you, David Krejci. Um, by the by the way, before we wrap up, I just want to say a little article on what my sense did, just really really quick, because because Brett, you're gonna love this. So in 2009, the Ottawa 67s, led by Brian Kilray, the most storied coach in CHL history, got knocked out Game 7 overtime on home ice by the Niagara Ice Dogs. Andrew Agazino scored that goal. He's bounced around the minor leagues a little bit, and now he's signed with the Ottawa Senators. Wow. Ten that years happened, later. That goal happened in 2009, and that was probably the most – noticeable signing that the Sens made outside of Michael Del Zotto. Yeah. Furthermore, Ryan Dezingle signed with the Arizona Coyotes. So for the second time, the Sens have no members of the 2017 team left on their roster. Wow. That's crazy. So Ryan Dezingle leaves again. Yeah, that's crazy. And you guys also got, um, didn't you get someone decent for Dadanoff? Uh, yeah, we got Nick Holden and Nick a draft Holden, pick. Right. Okay. I don't know if decent's the right word, but <laughs> you got something. Decent um, for now. Yeah, yeah, more exactly. than Flurry got, but yeah, exactly. Um All right, so that that's about it for us. Um yeah, I, I guess we're gonna talk about the Bruins next week too, but probably not as in detail like this. Uh but um but yeah, so you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace em Up. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, oh, and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and stuff like that. Sorry for the long episode again, but, um, I think you guys can understand that. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 281, the debut of our eight part off season series on the Lace Em Up podcast.